Uh, hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble falling asleep? Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that's here to put you to sleep. We do it with a bedtime story. All you've got to do is get in bed, turn out the lights and press play. I'm going to do the rest. And what I'm going to do is create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's running through your brain. Whatever is racing through your brain, whatever's had you up tossing and turning, I'm going to try to distract you from that. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to use lulling, soothing tones, uh, pointless meanders, extra long introductions that you can always skip, you know. And don't forget to set your sleep timers. For those of you that use the sleep timer, don't worry if you forgot. And you're already comfortable, though. But what I'm going to do is you try to take your mind off of whatever's going on with your mind, body, spirit, or emotions. You know, whether however your Thanksgiving went, or, you know, if you're thinking about the holidays, or thinking about holidays of old, or thinking about the next few weeks... Or you may, maybe had a wonderful Thanksgiving, you don't want to go to sleep, you're so, or, or God forbid, you had coffee. And old Aunt Bernice said, oh no, this is decaf, that's what I brought, decaf coffee. I mean, she really brought espresso ultra. Or you're just nervous. There was this one time, and this is another thing I don't, I tend to go on many pointless meanders like this. Uh, there was this one time, uh, and I didn't learn this lesson I was, an, I was an adult, but I wasn't 21. And I went out to dinner. This is when I lived in New York City. New York, New York, so nice they named it twice. And I think I was 19, 18, 19 years old. I wasn't 21. And my parents weren't cool with underage drinking. But we went out with my godfather and his wife. And my mother and my father. And I think we were going to a Broadway show, or maybe we went to one, or maybe, no, I guess not, we just went to dinner. Maybe we had gone to a matinee, and we met my godfather and his wife for dinner, and it was the first time I'd eaten at a very fancy restaurant, and it would probably be, the, it would be the last time for, for a long time. Not that, that, not that, you know, for my family, eating out would, would be at Pizza Hut, back when Pizza Hut, no offense, I don't think you're going to sponsor the podcast anyway, but when your pizza was good before the delivery business, when they used to make the pizzas, not unfreeze them. But uh, I didn't mean to do a pizza, right? I'm sorry. Um, but so we went out to this fancy dinner. And, I, you know, it was used to, I think maybe I had like one glass of wine, but that was it. But I was a little nervous. It was a real nice restaurant. And then we had coffee afterwards, and it was four adults and me. And I remember just drinking coffee because I was uncomfortable with the quality of the restaurant, quality of conversation. And I I drank at least four or five cups of coffee, which I can do in a normal day, but this was seven, eight, nine o'clock at night. Then we went out for drinks afterwards, but I wasn't allowed to drink. Uh, and then I went back to my parents' hotel and I was supposed to sleep on the couch instead of going back to my, to the Bronx where I went to school. And I remember I could not sleep. It was the worst. And, uh, I guess, uh, I, I, I should have just left my parents' hotel room and had gone and done something. 
but I didn't, and uh, it was just too much coffee. Wow, that was a long, boring tangent. I hopefully I lost some of you there, because that, that was maybe one of the most boring personal stories I've ever told. I don't tell tons of personal stories, uh, but when I do, you know, they're at least somewhat interesting. That was, but, but that's a lesson learned, you know, don't drink too much coffee. But if you did this with this podcast is here for, maybe... To distract you from thinking about it, because then you start thinking about the coffee you drank. Then you wonder if you could feel it, all those things. I want to take your mind off of that. And so well, you're just talking about it. How are you going to take me? Well, okay, I'm going to transition here to squirrels. How's that sound? We'll go from coffee to squirrels, because I had a squirrel encounter today. Every once in a while, if you're new to the podcast, I'll go on a little tangents here. Attempts at metaphors, metaphor-like tangents. And sometimes I go on tangents about squirrels because I have squirrels that live by my place. And today it's Sunday that I'm recording this, and it's Sunday night, but I was working on the podcast. I had to give my dog a bath. I had a bunch of other stuff. I don't think I did any other stuff. But at some point after my dog's bath, I wanted her to stay in the sun and get dried off. Because I'm lucky to live in Northern California. It was a nice warm day. Not Southern California warm, but but seasonably warm. So my dog's lying in the sun. I'm sitting on this bench working on the podcast. And my dog is very, she's not aggressive towards squirrels. Sometimes they make her cry. Sometimes they make her bark. Sometimes she chases after them. There's a few squirrels that live by right by my place, and this one came out, and I was telling my dog, I was like, just stay here on your little towel and dry off, please, and I was giving her treats. I said, you know, stay, lie down, and then I give her a treat. So then I said, well, she's a teachable moment here with the squirrel. She's already, like, being conditioned. I said, okay, relax, don't bug the squirrel. The squirrel is not going to bug you. Now, again, I did not mean to lie to my dog. So I said, just stay here. So this squirrel proceeds. And this isn't a, um, a gross squirrel behavior at all. And I'm not a squirrel, you know, I'm not a squirrel psychologist. I'm not a, you know, squirrel studier. But this was um, bizarre squirrel behavior, not aggressive bizarre. I mean, the squirrel was definitely wondering if my dog would play with it or taunting my dog for a while. Then it got sick of that. Or maybe it was watching my dog, and the squirrel, and I don't know if this is correct use of prostrate, but so I live in a four-unit building, and I'm facing the garage of my apartment building where my dog is lying. To the left is like a four- to six-unit building, and there's a fence in between, a wooden fence. And the squirrel's playing on that wooden fence, and then it just lies down on the fence, so its belly's on the fence, and its legs were on either side of the fence, and it's just lying there. I wondered if it was injured for a while because it was, uh, but it was just totally chilling. I think it's actually what it was doing. Even its tail was lying there. And it was just chilling there. And I wanted to take its picture, but then I was like, well, who am I to disturb a chilling squirrel? And then I said, is the dog, is this squirrel modeling my dog's behavior? Is this some other form of taunting? And then the squirrel moved again, and then my dog started driving Koa nuts. But she was still a good girl. She listened. And I said, leave it, leave it. And then the squirrel took off. Now the squirrel actually did not leave. I said, okay, now I'll get back to work. You can get back to laying in the sun. Here's a treat. 
But the squirrel went around our back of our garage and went to the other side of our building, which has another fence. And then there's a, a vacant lot next door. And then the squirrel, there was another squirrel. So they did a little flirting or a little, hey, what's up? You know, let's do some jumping around each other. And then one of the squirrels proceeded to start eating a crab apple. And the other one, the same one, lied on the fence once again on a different fence. And to be honest, I said, this one's probably more, I said this to the squirrel. I said, that's a much better choice because the other fence was a little narrow. This one was a two by four uh, on the four. So it was lying on the four inch side. So I said, that's a way better stomach, you know. So the squirrel's just lying there. But meanwhile, you know, I don't know. And then it proceeded to, you know, go, I got irritated. I said, calm down. And then the squirrels, you know, I talk to the squirrel. It doesn't talk back. But, you know, I said, but, but anyway, this is the podcast a little bit, but with your brain and your body and your emotions. I tried to just sit there on the bench talking to you, just like I talked to the dog or the squirrel. But, but I, And I realize you're much, you know, more evolved and you have your, you know, way more brain power and stuff. So I don't talk down to you like you're a dog or a squirrel. I mean, as a matter of fact, I was talking up to the squirrel. And I, and if I had to put myself, I would say I'm probably lower than a dog and a squirrel. But anyway, because he's pleasant. I said, man, what could be more wonderful than watching a dog lying in the sun and some squirrels screwing around? It was really pleasurable uh, while I was working on the podcast. Nice of them to think to put on a little mini show for me. And that's kind of what I do. I put on a little mini show, try to take your mind off whatever's been keeping you up, all that coffee or whatever it is. It's a little bit silly, strange. I mean, some of you might be like, is this guy, he sits in the backyard and watches squirrels. Isn't that what people do after they lose their teeth? You know, I thought you had to be retired to squirrel watch. Does he feed the squirrels? No, 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 I do not. There was a, they, they were they were looking pretty, we've got some sort of nut-based tree over the vacant lot and then a crab apple tree. So these squirrels are living the fat life. But that's what I want to do. I just want to take your mind off of it. As pleasant as, I want you to be the squirrel chilling, you know, chilling there in the sun or the dog or let's just say there's a cat in the picture. There's not. My upstairs neighbor, she has cats. They're indoor cats. And I'm allergic, so so I haven't encountered them. But I'm sure they're just out there chilling too. And maybe something about my voice, something about my manner, is suited towards keeping dogs and cats and squirrels chill. I mean, that squirrel could could have been doing anything. He said, "Hey, I'm gonna this, this oddball's here looking at me. I, I'll I'll chill for a while." And that's all I ask. If you're having trouble sleeping, give this podcast a couple of shots. If it doesn't work for you, you know, I'm sorry. But I hope it does. I hope you lie there in bed feeling like a chilling squirrel, but so much more comfortable. And I hope you slowly drift off into dreamland. I'm going to send my voice, I'm going to send my our heart, my intention across a deep, dark night. And I'm going to try to escort you across the threshold to sleep, if I can, you know, in a most distracting, you know, lulling, soothing way I can. But most of all, I'm glad you're here, and I really hope I help you fall asleep. Thanks for coming by. 
Hey everybody, this is Scooter and Pride to present our uh, holiday season series, untitled as of right now. And I'm going to pass things over, believe it or not, this show came to me packaged and done. Uh, and I'm going to pass things over to the person who's done all the hard work. And I mean, it's not a studio thing, so this is the first time I've handed things off to a... Uh, to a correspondent, not a paid correspondent, a, a, a pursuer of truth and justice, or maybe just truth. I don't know. This is the first. I'm cracking, cracking. You know, I'm, I'm listening to these tapes as they come in. Uh, so I'm gonna pass it over, and maybe there'll be some music or something. I don't know. Uh, but here it is, our untitled for now holiday series episode one. Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Claude Neon, and I'm here to tell you a story that I've uncovered. And I'm happy to have this platform to do it, and I appreciate your time. And I appreciate this forum to, to tell what I've slowly uncovered over the past uh, few years. Now, I'm not a professional journalist. I, I dreamed one day of making a big... A big scoop or a big splash, and but but those dreams are past. But that's a distraction from from the story at hand. So my name's Claude Neon, and I'm here to share a story that all of us are probably pretty familiar with, because this story started for me just last year with the ascension of Roberta Claus, and then. The corresponding after all the events of the spring and the summer. The eventual, I wouldn't say it was a disappearance of Roberta Claus, but a withdrawal from the public eye of Roberta Claus. And I know there's a lot of stories out there about Roberta Claus and the legend of Santa Claus and and, and this is my version of looking into the story. And we all have to agree, because for me, it wasn't about all the noise. It wasn't about all the things. It was it was a curiosity. Where did Roberta Claus go, and what was she doing? And that was the only questions I had, and the answers I wanted at the time. There was one more question I had sitting in the back of my mind, which was. You know, if if I could find Roberta Claus, what was she doing, and what was happening with Christmas? There was all these corresponding viewpoints around Christmas, and but mostly I just wanted to know where she was and what she was doing, because I kept asking myself, why did Roberta Claus leave, and where did she go? And as I started to search, the details of my search and how I tracked her down aren't important. It's about me and the Internet in my gut, but I eventually found Roberta Claus. But maybe I should stop and talk about what led us up to this point. For anyone that's out there, that might have only one viewpoint of what has happened in the past year. 
or if someone's listening to this down the road, well, I want to catch us up on the events of the past 12 months. Or maybe even if we jump back now over the past five to ten years, or over my entire lifetime, people have been asking themselves the question, is Santa Claus real? And of course, this is all a process every child goes through, every parent goes through with their children. But in the past five to ten years, things have become a little more foggy and less clear. Or maybe more clear, and people blame the internet. And always on technology and cameras. But over the past five years, more and more things have led people to believe, to believe that Santa Claus was real. He's been caught on tape. And more and more eyewitness accounts, there's been more and more video accounts. And some would say undeniable proof of his sleigh in the air of flying reindeer, of elves of impossible physical feats, of gifts being brought to remote places to children who had nothing, of Christmas miracles. And of course, for every report that's cropped up, there's been people counteracting those reports, saying they're leaked movies, Hollywood magic, forgeries, Lies, but for those of us who, who who have an inquiry into this Santa Claus, who wonder, is he real? Is this real? The frequency of the reports has increased, and 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 the fact that it's been happening has become undeniable. So we're left with a few conclusions to be drawn. Uh, any of these are popular. Santa Claus is real, and he's being caught on tape more and more uh, because of technology. Santa Claus is not real, but reports are, are being faked of him more and more because of technology. But there's been other reports over the past few years, maybe the past decade, that Santa Claus had returned from somewhere, that Santa Claus was real. And and some of you may have watched that famous, now uh, very hard to track down, uh, supposed Christmas special, possible documentary. Now they say it's like faking the moon landing about the 1950s attacks on the North Pole by the United States government. And some would say that at that time, Santa Claus withdrew and continued on serving Christmas, but in some sort of remote or stealth level of capability, or that he withdrew from the world entirely. And and some would theorize that all these current sightings, the increased level of his sightings, is due to increased activity from Santa Claus himself. Now those events led us to this past Christmas where Santa Claus's presence was nearly ubiquitous and undeniable. There was countless reports, interviews. Oh, he didn't do any in-person interviews, but on-the-spot interviews, Santa showing up at events. And people were baffled, and people were divided. 
But it was also undeniable that a lot of people were starting to believe in him. And children around the world were, were, were filled with this new fangled joy, which I can see uh, put a lot of parents in an awkward place. And some would say that this past Christmas was a pinnacle event for many people meeting Santa Claus, getting gifts that had no explainable giver. All of us have friends that have told us that Elmau, not everyone was visited by Mr. Claus or Mr. Kringle, but many people were affected by this wonderful thing, and, and, and a lot of people asked why. And then the rumors started that it was a farewell tour. And even Santa Claus, when pressed, would, would say he, he would avoid the question or laugh like a bowl full of jelly, whatever they say about these things. But we can't lead into the pinnacle of joy without the events of a few months later. When word came out of the North Pole in just February that Santa Claus had passed on. And this had been something in, in all of the lore and mainstream uh, fiction or semi-fiction, however you want to describe it, about Santa Claus. The passing of Santa Claus is not something the, the public found uh, understandable, maybe not even palatable, but but almost incomprehensible. And it seemed the North Pole was prepared for these things because they let us know about the. Uh, well, all of you are familiar with the about the intergenerational passing and the, all of the backstory about Santa Claus and how. Yes, he lived longer than humans, but he was a human. And how, like some stories, he did choose, sometimes his progeny and sometimes someone else to take over for him as he would age out. But all this was happening secretly in the North Pole. And this is over, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of years or some such thing. But this last Santa, he was there for this 1950s battle where the United States government tried to take over his North Pole. And then we had the world mourn for the passing of Santa Claus. And it seemed to be something cathartic and something orchestrated in a way to empower that catharsis and empower some grieving. And many said this was Santa Claus's choice. I mean, we, we all heard Mrs. Claus speak and Roberta Claus speak and some of the, the, the members of the Elven Guilds speak in the powerful words as they toured the world and in turn to Santa so people could say goodbye to him. And the world, I don't know if it's, I suffered, I know, with the passing of Santa. But it also opened up this, I don't know if wonderful is the right word, but this dialogue between adults and adults and children and children about loss, about grief, 
about the stages of grief and about our feelings, I know many people who would never speak to each other about such deep things were able to connect on what they were going through with the loss of Santa. And it became a, a winter not of discontent, just a winter of mourning Santa Claus, you know. And this report isn't about this. This is a report just to catch you up. I know all of us had our own experiences and our own way of dealing with and the outpouring of service to others. While it was short-lived, there was some sort of residual effect in the, the sending of things to the North Pole and the way the children... I, I don't know, I wonder if I was an anthropologist and not who I am. What will be the effects down the road? Will these children be more emotionally able to grapple with these things? But there was also some pushback that this was all a fiction, that there was conspiracies behind this, that this was a pseudo-religion. But we all remember that. And, but it seemed that this event brought out uh, almost a new face. It had been a while since the world had lost a leader so universally beloved or majority beloved. We also know that uh, moving forward from, from the loss of Santa, that he had shared by video message as he, at the, the peak of his illness that he was passing on the, the physical and the proverbial reins to a new Santa. And after the passing of Santa, these videos were sent out to the world. And Roberta Gloss was eventually revealed to the world. But, but maybe now's not the right time to talk about uh, the passing of the reins for Roberta Claus. Because eventually I did track down Roberta Claus on my search to find her. I found where she was. I found where she was staying. And, and the details aren't important. It could be a, a, a Caribbean island. Or it could be an apartment in a, in a huge city. But I found her, and I found her, and she was alone. And at first she she tried to deny who she was and deny me access, but I told her I was not leaving. And she said, what do you want? And I said, Robert, I want to speak with you. I I want answers. And I, I want my curiosity Quelched, or however you would refer to it. And I think you would understand that. And she smiled. And I had seen her many times on TV and rewatched her reports over and over as I thought about this story and wondered. But seeing her eyes up close, there was something so gentle and loving about those eyes. As I stood there on her door, trying to black, even black my entrance into her place, there was something so kind and gentle. And it, it gave me, a, it made me feel like a child. 
with the warm sun on his face. But I still wanted my answers, of course. But also it was clear to me that she seemed to have a, a, I don't know if a bottomless heart is a good thing, but in this case, it was clear to me, being close to her at those moments, I, I said, this is Santa Claus or Roberta Claus in a more general sense, and actually Roberta Claus. So she 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 wouldn't grant me an on-mic interview, but we sat down. And she said, well, what is it exactly you want to know? And I said, well, I think I already have my answers as I looked around. And my worst fears in some sense were confirmed because there was no secret supercomputer to the North Pole. There didn't seem to be any hidden, you know, secret doorways or there was no bookcase that could be swung into a North Pole command center. And while her eyes were full of some sort of uh, limitless love and support, there was also something else there crowding around her eyes and around her cheeks a sadness. Uh, Something more, I didn't know if it was fear or pain or both things, but it was there around her face. And she said, sit down, what is it? What did you want to see? She could tell I was looking at her, and I said I wanted to see if you were still fighting for Christmas, Roberta. If you were still pushing for Christmas. If you still had the Christmas spirit. And she said to me, those are many different things. There's a big difference between fighting for Christmas and loving Christmas and having the Christmas spirit. And she said, I want to help answer your questions. And I also want to know why you're here. And I felt uh, transparent for a second because I had been, you know, covering up some of my motivations with her. And she said, tell me what happened and tell me why you're really here. Now, before I tell you that, some of you might be like, I don't know who Roberta Claus is. This is uh, 2026, and now we are all robots, and we have no, you know, we're, we're robots listening. So all of you, or maybe you're androids, or some sort of human-plant hybrid. Roberta Claus had taken over for Santa Claus after Santa Claus's passing. In the late winter, early spring of last year. And she toured the world on a, a tour of goodwill, bringing presents. And cities would be surprised, or areas would be surprised, with a magical Christmas night in the middle of March or April or May, or even June. And Roberta toured the world, giving away gifts and and, uh, spending time smiling. For a brief time, the world embraced her. But deep down, people said, I don't understand. And I think people wanted Santa's reassurance or some sort of reassurance or something. 
And I think we all know what happened after that. There became this great backlash against Roberta Claus. And it became... I've never seen the tide turn in such a way against a public figure who had just recently risen to prominence. But as we all know, Roberta Claus began to fracture people's opinions on Christmas and Santa Claus very quickly. Groups started to form or, 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 or groups started to just take up issue with Roberta Claus, whether it was that she and, and Santa Claus and Christmas was against their belief system or an alternative or disrespectful or that she had some secret agenda or that she wasn't acceptable for some sort of reason beyond, but they would find a reason. And the, and the people that, they said, well, I don't have, you know, I don't have to like Roberta Claus. And also people took up, uh, took up issue with the consumerism of Christmas and Roberta came a, a symbol of the wastefulness. And even the North Pole became a place of, 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 of a hoarding of energy, of resources. And all of a sudden, wherever Roberta Claus went, or even where she wasn't, it was a constant stream of chatter about Roberta Claus. And, and to say she was, it was unfair would be an understatement. But to say it, it happened in so many different pockets, it wasn't one unified movement against her. But all these different groups, uh, and it just seemed to gather steam into the summer. And as the late fall came, people started talking about, you know, boycotting Christmas or boycotting gift-giving or only doing gift-giving within this traditional framework that Christmas and Santa Claus were out, that reindeer were out, and people started warning the major retailers of the world that, you know, not to, you know, stock anything having to do with Christmas and definitely not anything to do with Roberta Claus. And there was an element of hate and meanness to all this. But and also an element of of group mob mentality, even though it's fractured. And and I I've sat many times and wondered about it. Was it that we hadn't healed from the grieving process? Was it this element of fan? Were, were even the adults caught up in some sort of childlike analysis of the situation? Was it some sort of universal self-hatred that was being projected onto Roberta Claus? What had triggered this? Or was it we were just unable to handle change and loss? Was it the economic conditions of the past 20, 30, 50 thousands of years that was being... But suddenly, Roberto Claus did become a lightning for all the lightning rod for all those things. And as these things go, things quickly started to escalate. 
And that's when Roberta Claus stepped in. As people have tried to find the North Pole, you know, some of the people in the United States uh, Congress started to lobby for invasion of the North Pole, and some of them seemed serious about it. Uh, people started to wonder if they were stealing energy or there was some energy source. Was it a threat to the United States and the national security of the world? You know, did Roberto Claus possess things that could get into the ha- all sorts of noise, 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 noise. And under the noise was the fear in something, uh, dare I say, uglier. But I think that no one, almost like a stain in the mirror, you don't want to look at. So you just look beyond and see Roberta Claus. But as uh, as things turned uglier and uglier, Roberta Claus uh, relented. And Roberta Claus was very public about trying to get her message out that, she, yes, she, she would... Uh, step down, but but uh, that people's understanding of uh, Santa Claus and Roberta Claus and her ability to explain it all was limited in that by her stepping out of the spotlight, of stepping down that Christmas was to be stepped down. And then we had the world vote for, you know, Christmas, which, yes, it was symbolic, but it it did have, a, 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 you know, billions of votes, and most of them were for Roberta Claus and Christmas uh, to not go on, and even the children of the world, whether it was at the behest of their parents or their schools. It seemed that we now suddenly lived in a world that didn't want Christmas, and they became hostile. And Roberta Claus said she wanted to respect what people wanted. And and if she was going to be the object, that she would withdraw herself so that people could enjoy the holidays with their families. And that she wanted everyone to be safe and, and that she understood. And there was many more. I, I, I just, I guess I can't go on forever about this. Uh, because I, I want to get to what I talked to Roberta Claus about here, up next here. So the next recordings I made were on location right after I had talked to Roberta Claus. Okay, so I just spoke with Roberta Claus, and as I told you, she she seemed most interested. And she kept saying to me, what it is that you want? I said, Roberta, let me tell you that uh, what's driving me here is my I, I thought you were behind something. And in some sense, I'm dis- disappointed to learn because I, I actually, I guess part of me came out of curiosity. And part of me came because something that happened when I was a young boy. And I don't, I'm not comfortable talking about this either on the show or even to Roberta Claus, but she seemed to know, I, 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 to tell you people, but at, at some point, 
And I, I know some of you may be listening to this, and, and you might not believe any of this. You might be in the camp that all of this Santa Claus and Roberta Claus stuff isn't real. But I am a believer. Because one Christmas Eve when I was a boy, Santa Claus saved me. He, he saved my life. And while I'm not comfortable filling in the details, and yes, I've lived my life wondering, was it just a man in a Santa suit? Was it all, but the events were real. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the actions taken by Santa Claus that night. And as I grew older, I began to accept the fact that that was Santa Claus, and I did become obsessed with these reappearances and seeing him one more time. And when he passed, I was devastated that I had never got to see him again. But that Christmas Eve when he saved me, and I, I was speechless, he said to me, he held me. And his, I remember how warm his hands were even through his gloves as he held me to him. And he said, one day you might have the chance to save me or save Christmas. And I know you'll be up to it. You're a brave young man. And that's all I'm comfortable saying about the events of that night. And it's not because of what happened was was horrible or dark, but I, I do believe I have some decorum. And it wasn't anything terrifying or scary, but... He, he saved me, and I said, I will, Santa. If you need me to save Christmas, I will. So that was part of the reason I told Roberta Claus that I had come. Because, and then I sat down and I said to Roberta Claus, you know, I said, I saw you were behind the secret Santa stuff. That you were behind the scenes, because as some of you, you may, may or may not know, but... It, as the backlash against Roberta Claus grew and it looked more and more, and as the build-up to the vote on Christmas came, uh, children started talking about another Santa Claus, about this secret Santa. And some people may have heard the rumors or seen the graffiti or little notes. And some of the notes were left by secret Santa. There were reports that the notes weren't in the parents saying this isn't in my children's writing. And again, this was used as ammo against Roberta Claus, but it stayed underground, and most people said it was just a way of children's coping with the loss of Santa and the confusion around Roberta Claus. And again, it was heaped on Roberta say, well, this is their way of coping with, with her not being up to being Santa or some such thing. But I held on to this as a sign that you were still fighting, Roberta, and that you were out there somewhere, and that you were Secret Santa. And as I told Roberta Claus this, her face lost all color. And at first I thought it was because of the... I said, I'm not taking a harsh tone, but I said, my disappointment can't be that impactful for Roberta. But I said, what is it, Roberta? What, 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 why are you so upset? And she said, you said, she said, Secret Santa is real.
And I told her about some of the, you know, the police children have because Secret Santa was was more into the naughty or the nice of getting the children who had misbehaved. And it, it seemed to be seeped in this uh, folk war with the, all, all the other characters like Krampus and Ruprecht and Bell Snickles and all sorts of things from European folklore. But, but again, and as I started to track it, I realized it was worldwide, and that's why I thought Roberta Claus was behind it. But it had been like a game of telephone with the children instilling their own belief systems, but I had trusted she was the one. So as I saw her pale face... I, I, I may have become pale-faced myself. And Roberta Claus said, well, I'm going to need your help. And I said, well, you know, what do you mean, Roberta? She said, I didn't withdraw from Christmas to run away or to fix my bruised ego or just to regroup. She goes, I pulled out to observe what was going to happen to give people some space and to figure out how to fix things. She goes, because maybe it was too close to the passing of Santa Claus. But she's like, I'm not withdrawn here. And she goes, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure things, I was trying to figure things out and give people a holiday season of their own. What I didn't realize was that my retreat had created a void so quickly but she said to me I'm going to need your help because I didn't come here to run away or withdraw I came here to observe to give the world some space without me without Santa without Christmas to see what would happen and then to see how I could fix things I was going to give them their year without Christmas. Not as a punishment, not as a test, uh, but I was willing to accept it, I guess, and, and say, okay, what can we adjust? What do you, I, my job is to serve uh, Christmas and the people. It's too complicated to explain, she said. But she said, I'm going to need your help because now I realize my error. For my absence has created a void, and I didn't realize how rapidly that void would be filled. And I said, I, I said, I didn't understand. And she said, you, you don't need to. She, you see, she said, Santa warned me, not about a secret Santa, about a force that could be the opposite of Santa, the opposite of Christmas. Here's the thing, I don't, I don't know if you watched Star Trek, Roberta Claus said to me, now I, Claude Neon, I believe it or not, I've not seen very much Star Trek, but she said it's too bad, because uh, Spock had this wonderful speech about matter and antimatter that we could have done together, but it, it's, it's Spock's speech, so I'll have to make my own. But she explained to me that Santa and, and Christmas, even when Santa... You know, had to somewhat be away from the world. She said, see, this isn't unprecedented. Since the 1950s, Santa's only partially been involved. You know, people haven't really believed in him. 
And even though it was towards the end of his days, this particular Santa Claus, he decided it was time to return to the world slowly. But he was still actively involved, and people still wanted to believe and participate. But something's different now. You know, people have withdrawn her. Or maybe she goes, I don't understand it yet. But Santa was so powerful, so beloved, so good of heart. And the belief was so, well, it wasn't universal and it wasn't true belief. It was so powerful and had so much momentum that it crowded everything out. Any anti-matter, any anti-Santa Santa created a, a voidless space. He filled it all up. So there was nowhere for this darkness to exist. Now, sure, there is human foibles and human pain and suffering, but that is a different thing entirely than the oppositional force to Santa. There was no room for that force to grow or even... I guess I maybe fell into it. Santa had warned me that it could exist out there and to always be stoking the Christmas fires. But it seems I I, I judged wrongly. Maybe I should. I don't know. Or maybe this was inevitable. And this is what's going to drive us forward, Uh, Claude. Roberta was so neutrally confident is the only way I could describe it. You know, somewhere in this void, my withdrawal and the withdrawal of the people or the pushback, a pestilence seems to have started to grow. I suspect the secret Santa is not child's play. And I suspect that that's why you were brought here. This is your chance to save Christmas, Claude. To help Santa, to help Roberta Claus. I need you to believe in me. I need you to believe in Christmas. And while I don't need you to believe totally that this secret, we need to get to the bottom of this. And we need to restart the fires of Christmas joy. I thought for a season we could let them die down to an ember and everything would be okay. And my judgment seems to have been wrong. And I wanted to ask your brother, do we have time? Can we go for, you know, I had so many questions. But she just said, will you help me? And I said, yes. And she said, we have to get to work. And I said, well, Roberta, what can we possibly do? How could we fight an unknown force that might even be in opposition to us? Well, what are we? And she said, we'll do it with Christmas joy, Claude. It's going to be fine. Let's get to work. And with that, I I cast my... Well, actually, she took my hand and patted it in a way. And then, believe it or not, the way I'd found her was through Spacko the Elf, and Spacko was with me. I mean, outside down the street, and I told her about Spacko. But we'll have to see what happens. The next thing we planned on doing was was figuring out how to get to what was it, you know, figuring out this secret Santa stuff.
So I'll file my next report soon. I'm thanking you for listening. And I'm hoping by putting out this report that it starts to stoke the Christmas fire in you, in the present, or in the future. And know that the fire can burn in you the Christmas joy, the Christmas love. In the belief in Roberta Claus, for she is real, as real as Santa Claus once was. And I hope you'll join us on our journey to save Christmas. This is Claude Neon reporting. Thank you and good night. Hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble falling asleep? Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that's here to put you to sleep. We do it a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights and press play. I'm going to do the rest. And what I'm going to do is create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's been running through your brain. Whatever's got you up, whatever's got you, whatever's keeping you from falling asleep, whether it's uh, something in your brain, something in your thoughts, something in your body, something stirred up in your emotion, or something so deep, it's just unidentifiable. I I mean, when you just have a sleepless night, I'm going to try to take your mind off it, so at least you're not thinking about all that stuff, whatever's keeping you up, or the fact that you say, Jesus, how am I going to figure this out? I'm going to try to distract you from that. The way I'm going to do it tonight is I'm going to talk about the Colombian version of Breaking Bad. I'm going to sanitize it like germaphobes, hands, you know, and flu season. All right, you know, I'm going to take that, you know, squirt bottle. So don't worry, I'm going to tamp it down. I'm going to use lowing, soothing tones, pointless meanders. Then I'm going to talk about the corresponding Breaking Bad episode. Then I'm going to talk about the Metastas episode again and try to learn some Spanish. Usually ends up being a pretty silly little story thing type thing at the end. But the main thing is I want to kind of enter into something that's not quite as strict as a pact, a P-A-C-T pact. But something along those lines, an agreement that sounds too businesslike, an informal uh, something like, just say, geez, I got to work on the vocab. An informal uh, coming together of like one of those things, packed like, we'll, we'll call it a picked and a peaked. Uh, I don't know, something like that. And what I mean by that is, I just want you to lie back and listen. No, I've, I'm just going to sit here, but it's going to be a little bit so silly, a little bit strange, a little bit different. I'm going to try to, you know, I'm not going to get to the point. My, you know, my voice will every once in a while will sound like a car trying to start. Or maybe not even more than every once in a while. You know, in the deepest of winter. When you're trying, you know, but, but I'm going to try to, even when I do this, see, just, did you just hear it? But even when I do that, I'm going to try to smile. I'm going to give you a little warm smile right now. I got I to gotta stop talking to do, do it, though. I'm going to try to be there for him. Send my voice across the deep, dark night to try to escort you, you know, across the threshold and into the world of sleep or whatever the heck you want to call it. And I know, you know, we're just at the tail end of a long holiday week weekend here in the U.S. It should be Sunday night when you're listening to this or maybe the week after. And a lot of times when you get in bed, it can feel like that prep or the run-through of a holiday meal like Thanksgiving that we have in the, here in the U.S., 
which is kind of a hybrid meal nowadays. You say it's like a potluck, but you say, well, it's close. We say, you know, when we don't usually call it a potluck. We call it Thanksgiving because, you know, most people go to something you bring. You know, a lot of times you're in charge of one dish. And just in case this is Thanksgiving, the night before Thanksgiving that I'm recording this, I'm in charge of rolls. R-O-L-L-S, or is there two O's or two L's? Rolls, like uh, bread. I guess they're more bread. But, you know, sometimes when you get in bed, it can be similar to planning a potluck meal. Like you lie down, and then all of a sudden you get this one. You say, who's bringing the cranberry sauce? And you say, oh, geez, it's not Thanksgiving was three days ago. Well, you know, why did Aunt Bernice bring that? It was just in a can, and then that's all she brought. Okay, okay, I hear you. But that was, you know, Thanksgiving. We got about 361 days now, and that's the only time we see her anyway, you know, except for the one day when we, you know, when our shift comes up to drive her, you know, wherever, you know, wherever the heck. We only have to do that one other week or so. Like, can we not work? Okay, and then you might calm that part of your brain down. And then you might say, geez, you always say, well, geez, well, and then another voice says, well, geez, why, what were you thinking, put, making pecan stuffing? What, 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 you didn't, how could you forget that Cousin Brucie is alert, you know, and you say, okay, I, I, I don't know why I thought pecans and peanuts were different, and then I candied them. Well, you see, that, I, you know what, I, I, I know, I, I guess I did slip up in it, but, I, you know, we, we recovered from and I'm just trying to go to bed now, as a matter of fact. I didn't want a Thanksgiving rundown here. Well, I just hope you, you know, and then that brain part of you, well, I just hope you remember the next Thanksgiving not to screw up again. And then, and then, then like, it's like there's this gathering around you, and then somebody else pushes in. They say, hey, by the way, how did that feel when... Uh, you know, they said, geez, are you going to stay alone? Do you enjoy being alone? And of course I remember because everyone looked at me and was staring at me. And it was like the movies when you heard the tink, tink, tink of little Billy, Billy's fork on his plate. Of course I, you know, but then you might even take a breath. You might recoup. You say, well, that happens every year. I'm over it. Remember, I moved on to this point. They're even making car rental commercials about these things. So it's acceptable. You know, we, I don't, and yeah, yeah, I don't want to, I'm just joking. Okay, I can't, okay, hey, everybody, I'm going to breathe. And they say, and then all of a sudden it's like all these other noises. And you say, you feel like you're sitting at this Thanksgiving table with all, but it's like, oh, wait, no one, it's like it doesn't have the, uh, it's only, it's only, it's like the, uh, I guess it's a little bit like a Christmas, the Thanksgiving carol. Too bad we didn't get Charles Dickens back. Maybe I should pick him up in a time machine and bring, you know, but it's always the go, you know, Christmas Carol, we don't really get the good ghost, that middle ghost, the one, uh, you know, without the shirt on and with the Olympic torch. That uh, That's my favorite one, even though I think he's the Christmas present. And I don't know, if I was the ghost of Christmas present, I'd do that every time and then I'd be like, boom, boom, I'm the ghost of Christmas present. Boom, boom, I'm a gift for you. You know, I just do that the whole time. But, you know, you mostly, when it's bedtime, you mostly get the Christmas past ghosts and the Christmas future ghosts. But even those ghosts, they don't feel like the ones in the movies, you know, that are trying to help you. Even though these brain parts, they really are trying to help you. But to, to think 
that all these adaptive, I don't even know what the hell they are, but I call them brain bots. They're trying to figure out how to help you. And they say, geez, we just want to get you, you know, we just want to get some certainty here and some clarity and control every aspect of your life. So then things will be fine. And, you know, if we just think if you buckle down and achieve some sort of perfection and, you know, if you were crushed, the only way we can rebuild you is if you're crushed by the burdens of the past. And that way you can be prepared. If we can crush you with the burdens of the past, we could prepare you for the doom of the future. Because we just want to help. And they say, okay, guys, what if I buy into this system you're, you're proposing? Could, 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 could I get some sleep so I'll be ready for it tomorrow? No, 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 we need to start today because of your efficiency issues. You know, we, we've got a Pomodoro timer. I mean, we removed all the the breaks from it. So it's just one straight Pomodoro. How old are you? Yeah, we, we set it at 60 years just in case. But, geez, the way you take care of yourself is not going to even be close. So, uh, you know, we, we you can't go to sleep. We need to get started. Okay, wait, let me, guys, let me just ask you. I, you know, I have bills and stuff, and I have work tomorrow, and I just want to get some sleep because I do, even though I know I need to be crushed by the past, prepare for the future. Uh, to be, Am I going to be crushed by the future? And then they'd say, hold on, let us have it. And they'd say, I don't know. Oh, devastated by the future. But, you know, we don't have a word for it yet. You say, okay. And then this is when we slip in old scoots here. This is when I, I kind of, I say, evening, gentlemen, evening. I'm just out here for an evening stroll in this person's lovely comforter. Excuse me, I'm just going to tuck, tuck him and her in. And uh, how you how y'all doing? This fine night for a comforter stroll, isn't it? I, my name's Scoots, and I see all of you were you know working you know the, the post Thanksgiving stir up. You know that's that's a serious. Hey, do you guys are you guys with that new that super advanced crush past uh you know future program? And they say, what's he? What is this guy serious? What's he doing? And he said he's out for an evening stroll in the comforter. I say. I say, excuse me, gentlemen, let me just confer with uh, this human. Hey, you, you, I'll take care of this, and you go to sleep. You can listen in. It, it might be mildly amusing, but nothing more. They say, hey, excuse me, uh, brain bots, why don't, why don't we step over here? I was wondering if you guys could offer me a couple pointers because— uh, you know, I, I got I got I'm gonna run some stuff by you, and 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 I want you all to pay strict attention. I'm gonna talk about some stuff, and I want to see if you guys could stay to stay, keep it to the end, because boy, could I use a good, uh, you know, I haven't heaped enough burdens of the past on myself yet, and I just want to learn you guys' methods. They say, you know, learn from the masters or something like that. Learn from the greatest. And you clearly, you guys got it going. I mean, talk about a way to protect someone and give them certainty. You, 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 you got it going on both sides. I, I love it. I love your guys' methods. I love your work. The, uh, I mean, those bags under that person's eyes are like sign, job well done. So I want you guys to observe because I don't think I got it down. I'm gonna do. You guys listen. I'm gonna go through an episode of this stuff here. You know, why don't I entertain you guys for a little while? I'll do, and you could do, you could just keep mental track of every time I kind of, you see, just keep an eye on me. 
And, uh, you know, because I, I, I'm so, I just want to give you guys a little rest. I'll give you straight material to criticize. And maybe you guys can even watch me and see, you know, do you guys have any measurement materials? You can see how much of the burden of the past is crushing me. And then kind of get, give me a say, heads up, future's coming right at you like a freight train. It doesn't like you, you know, all that stuff. Okay, you guys, and I, oh, I also bought, brought snacks and treats for all your brain bots. That's right, all your favorites. I got shame gummies. I got some toasted demon seeds. I've got, I got uh, candied regrets. If you guys had these, these are the ones with the tapatio in there. Oh boy, you're going to love them, candied regrets. And look at this on a stick. It's humiliation on a stick. Have you guys had this before? Oh my goodness. This one, and I also, I, I brewed up some impotence punch, you know, both figurative and, you know, for, you know, so you guys could spit it out at me when you say you were drinking your impotence punch, you know, and ha, ah, you know, so I got it all. I got treats. And I actually have, I have goodie bags for all you brain bots. Uh, you know, about eight million, I got tons of pens, check, I got just checklists, checklists galore and air horns. Now they're not going to be active till tomorrow. Don't worry, human, there's no air horns. But I have these special air horns for when your human screws up so you'll just be able to blast them tomorrow. Tomorrow they go live right after eight hours of sleep. That's the only way they'll work, though, by the way. And these are magical air horns. So as long as your human gets about eight, seven, six, seven, whatever they feel like sleeping, it could be four. So, okay, you guys gather around. I'm going to run the meeting here. And when I say run it, for your benefit, like as I'm your assistant. Okay, and just excuse me, I'll be back. I check with your human. And you guys line up. Yeah, and I'd expect all your brain best to say calmly if you want to grab bag and snacks. All right, so I think I got their attention. So I'm going to run through. You just lie there, drift off when you need to. And if it's your first couple of times here, I know this is a bit uh, off the beaten path. But, you know, I'm glad you're here. And, and, and try it a couple of times because I really hope it helps you fall asleep. Thanks for coming by. All right, good night. All right, so we're talking metastasis here. It opens with a dude talking, oh, no, taking a shot. And he's at a Western-style bar, which is on barrels, like uh, wooden barrels. Uh, almost feels like a faux Western bar, because just because, you know, it's on a TV set. But uh, the bartender has a very sweet shirt on. Uh, it's worth watching the episode for that shirt. And the guy at the bar, he's talking a lot of trash to the other patrons. He's kind of rude, I would say. And then this man shows up, like, straight out of a, uh, like, a Casablanca-style movie. And this guy that's been drinking and running his mouth says, Oh, F.A., how you doing, man? And he says, What are you, a bar, what do they call that, a bar philosopher? Happy Hour Hero. I think that's a song by Mo. But uh, he goes, Oh, you're a barroom philosopher, eh? And he says, Oh, no, and this guy's a lot younger, this F.A., and very clean cut. The other guy seems worried. And, and if to underline my inability to understand the language, uh, there's some bass drums that say, okay, he does seem worried according to those bass drums. And then they say salute. And then he mentions his birthday, you know, Feliz Cumpleaños, I think. Regalo, I picked up, you know, as a gift. 
But then I sensed some trouble. I couldn't tell, like, if we, what was going on. And he says, hey, let's go get your present. And it was a turtle, a tortoise, it turns out. But a turtle looked like a first in the kitchen. The old turtle in the kitchen. Remember that from Operation? I didn't even know what that was a metaphor for. Wasn't it like a collapsed arch? That was the weirdest thing. Turtle, they called it a turtle in a kitchen. Turtle in the kitchen. But he said, here's your gift. And the guy's like, you got it. I mean, talk about a good gift uh, initially. He said, I mean, a turtle for a turtle lover or a tortoise and a tortoise lover. And this guy's nickname's Tortuga, we remember. And he loves turtles. He gets right up on this turtle. Like it was a puppy. He's he's as, just like a kid with a puppy. And then the twin brothers come in. They say, hey, what's up? Nice turtle. And then the episode opens. Los Pollitos, it's called. Or Pollitos. I don't think I'm saying that right. But And the next shot is a Walt who's going up to his roof. Or, and Mike's watching him from a car. Walt's doing a little pizza cleanup. And then we have Cielo and Valentina in a car. They're singing uh, kids kids music. It's cute. And then they, they, she pulls up Cielo and she sees Walt walking to the garage with the... Uh, uh, ladder, and she says, no Yodas. She might even say, no me Yodas, but she might have just said, no Yodas, which means you, 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 it means you must be effing with me, or don't eff with me. Or in this case, got it, you know, you got to be effing kidding me. And then she calls, and Walt's like, oh, hey, Ciel, what's up? Hi, how you doing? And he looks out the window at her. He says, oh, I see you outside. Are you coming in? And she's like, dude, are you kidding me? You're not supposed to be here. And he goes, oh, I totally thought this was cool. And she's like, no, it's not. He's like, well, I'm going to hang. I'll be hanging here. And she, uh, and then she goes, uh, she finds Walt in the garden reading a newspaper. And she's like, what, what, what the heck's going on, man? And then Walt's totally trying to call like her bluff that Saul had told him earlier. She's bluffing, push her to the limits. And he's like, I'm just reading the paper. And she's like, I'm going to call, you know, and have you escorted out of the house. You know, you're not welcome here. And this is, you know, this I can see where poor Anna Gunn on Breaking Bad, you know, took so much heat because this is really one of these turning points. But it doesn't have to be. I guess when we're used to these, not that this is necessarily new, but his experience that's not necessarily familiar. It's like, okay. Uh, you know, I don't like what Walt's doing now, right this second, but a lot of other times I do like him. And I feel bad for Cielo. But I think a lot of people might have just not been with new. They just bought in, like, I'm, I'm on Walt's camp, not Cielo's camp. Or maybe, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, which is probably true. But Walt, uh, what does it say? Walt lays, oh, Walt lays down his rule. He, he's like, he's like, kill whoever you want to escort me out. I'm not going anywhere. And then Cielo comes, and she just gets, uh, authorities come, but they just give her the runaround. Junior comes home. He says, oh, Pa, I'm so happy to see you. Oh, this is on the phone when she's getting the runaround. And Junior's so happy to see his dad. They do a big pa hug. See, Pa, he says. And then he says, can I watch you eat lunch? And it was like, totally, man. Watch me eat lunch. Father and son bonding. And he's like, later you can watch me read the newspaper and then, you know, emasculate me by raising money for me. 
And Cielo gives her this grave look where she's lets know. Well, no, she's like, this is on, man. Like, this is on. You are punking me. I'm going to punk you right back. Uh, but the doorbell rings and Walt's still calling the bluff. And Cielo, she won't, she, she makes a choice not to lie, but to tell the truth about the situation. Junior's confused by the whole thing and he gets mad. And because Cielo's honest with them, you know, they say, but well, she's illegally, we can't do anything. This guy's just a jerk. You know, we don't have laws against being a jerk within reason here. You know, we're being an a-hole. And then Walt even picks up Valentina when she's crying. He's totally playing. He's just, he's just, oh, my goodness. And then Junior blames his mother, Cielo. And the police leave, and Junior's all upset. And Walt tries to play his peacemaker. Lo siento mucho, he says. And I think Cielo says, what does she say? Uh, in uh, welcome home, bienvenidos, I think maybe. The next scene is Jose. He's in an empty Jose Miguel. He's in an empty house. Saul showing shows up with a gift. I think it was a tomato plant. And then he says, "Oh, this is very minimalist, huh?" And Saul even does like his Saul. I just called him Salt for some reason. That was accidental. But he does some TV moves. I don't know why. And Saul seems to need something. I think it's Walter to get a hold of him. And Jose's not happy about it. And also Jose's like, you know, Saul, I want you to leave me alone here. But Saul's like, this. Saul, Saul, I said, Saul, I said, he says, Saul's like, this is big money, man. We're talking big money. But Saul eventually leaves. Jose calls. He's calling uh, Yana. Juana's old phone number to hear her voice. And then we have Henry and Gomez at a empanada stand. And if there's one thing I love, it's a good empanada. Holy. And those are, you know, you can get them, especially that particular South American, Central American empanada that has gold, gold flakiness to it like he was having. As opposed to other empanadas, you know, just as good. But, uh, man, I mean, empanadas are good. You gotta track down an empanada place here in Bay Area. There's gotta be one. But a phone call comes in. It's F.A. And it, Henry's F.A., not the F.A. from the beginning. He says, bueno. And then he whistles. With, it seems like joy, and he laughs. And Gomez is like, what's up? I'm pretty sure you got a promotion. But then at the end of the scene, at the very end, he has, oh, no, look, oh, what did I get myself into? And then we have a woman in a wheelchair being offloaded. Uh, the twins are there. Uh, and they, they say, hey, we need this uh, everything to get, take our T.O. somewhere, our T.O. So they take their T.O. And they, it seems like they have a meeting with the jefe from the beginning, from the opening. And Gustavo's also there. Gus, and it's upstairs, so they have to carry Tio up the stairs. In an ultra-modern building, Los Bolios headquarters, it turns out. And they're talking to Eisenberg, talking to Go. Uh, the boss, the jefe, is trying to mend fences or something. I wasn't clear. And Gus's goose is just Gus's Gustavo is just playing it so smooth and cool. 
And then he says, Walter Blanco, Heisenberg, you know, something. And the jefe, the boss, gives an order to the twins and or says something. And Don Hector, uh, our T.O., he goes, he does three bells. Three bells from Don Hector means something, something that rhyme, you know, is going to be a heckler soon. But then Gus make, Goose makes his case back for Walt. You know, he says, no, no, no. And then Hefe and the twins, and of course, T.O., Don Hector, are not sold on the idea. And it's made it, you know, so clear when we get three bells, then two more from the T.O. I said, that's the writings on the wall there. Did he just do three bells and then two? Oh, boy. And then Hefe and Gus, they go to talk in private. They talk business. And they talk about family versus business or something. And then he says, it's clear the twins don't like Gus. And then we're back with Jose. He's still calling Juana over and over again. And Walt's up next on the floor of the nursery. He's, he's living on the floor of the baby's nursery. And like a twin mattress. Cielo and Valentina are in Cielo's room. She's smoking out the window. Baby's crying. Uh, which wakes Walt up and he says, hey, can I help? And at first I was like, is he going to figure out the cigarette smoke? He says, can I help out? And then he yes, he, then he's like, well, you know what? I got to use the bathroom. But Junior's in the bathroom, which, you know, he's a teen, of course. So he could be in there for a variety of reasons for a while. Or one minute, you know, when I was a teen or an adult. But uh, but Walt sees a plant, and he's like, hey, let me water that plant uh, instead of using the restroom. And rock music blares while he's doing that. It gets to underlie his rebellious uh, marking of his territory in some sense, maybe. And then we have Cielo talking to her lawyer. Her lawyer doesn't seem to understand, so Cielo just tells her the truth. And then the lawyer gives her some advice. Cielo says, on the way. Then we have Henry and Gomez at a bar, restaurant, and they're having a nice dinner. A meat plate comes. I said, that looks good. And then Henry sees this, somebody, somebody buying like a nickel bag or a dime bag or something at the bar, and he doesn't like that. But then he goes to use the bathroom. He's still having anxiety issues in the restroom. Uh, so he puts water in his face. Then he goes, uh, he's like, hey, Gomez, let's bust these guys. And Gomez's like, this, we're here to celebrate. You know, this is your casual drug use for the DEA. And so Gomez's like, hell no, I got a meat plate just came, man. Look at this meat plate. There's like seven different kinds of meat here. I'm off duty. And Henry can't let it drop, uh... Uh, so they go to leave, then he goes back, he starts trouble, they say sapo, which I still haven't, I gotta look up what that means, but it means frog when a direct translation. And it's almost like he starts too much trouble. After that, we go back to Jose's house, and it's the same story. He's on the floor on the rug, there's piano music in the background, and he's making the call, and he finally calls, and the number's disconnected, and Jose looks sad, and then there's some more music to underline that. And then at bus, thoughtful, sad, starts, oh, the next scene is Jose at the bus, he's thoughtfully sad, and he starts to cook, uh, make a little mess. Uh, we go back to Cielo and Valentina, they're running late, they're avoiding Walt. 
But then Cielo goes downstairs. There's a bag of money at the bottom of the stairs. And Walt's in a chair. And Cielo's like, okay, what? And Valentina shakes her head, I put. Is that right? I guess so. Maybe I meant Cielo. I'm not sure. Then we have Henry in the bathroom. He's had a different shirt on, so it's a different day. And it's a white, oh, it must be a new shirt we've never seen before. White with blue and black flower shapes. So, yeah, it was a nice one. I remember now. And then Gomez comes in. He gives him a talking to. Whatever he says, he's like, man, you got to get your act together. Uh, then we have Wall and Cielo. They're talking about money and how it's for her and for Junior, for Valentina. Then we, that leads to Cielo back at work. And this was a good scene, and it really contrasts with Breaking Bad here. Because uh, Silva, Mr. Silva comes in, and she looks at his back, and she sighs. And she, she, it's a very sensual scene from Cielo. And she makes her move on him and kisses him. And he responds. Someone else walks in, but Cielo was so, uh, uh, she was very flirty, very, uh, uh, visibly, uh, interested. It was, it was, it was a woe boy. Then we have a city scene, and a lot of times in the city it shows like a day to night, night to day, one day to the next. But I noticed in this city scene there was a rainbow pyramid on one of the streets, like uh, flashing rainbow lights on the pyramid looked cool. Cielo gets home, uh, Junior and his cool friend are there. His friend looks like a YouTube star, I'm not even kidding. So any casting directors that are awake right now, which would be zero, you should get this kid, I don't know what his name is. But seriously, I'm not joking either. Uh, potential star. Wolf's in an apron. He's like, hey, I'm cooking dinner in Kanta. And she said, hey, by the way, me and Ernesto hung out this afternoon. And I don't mean, uh, uh, you know, we, we hung out on the, you know, you know, we're different. You know, I'm trying to think of something that's not, you know, we were, we were crunching numbers, if you know what I'm saying. And I don't mean crunching numbers. And then she's like, oh, by the way, kids, come to dinner. And we'll just fume silently. And and that's how the episode ends. All right, so we're talking about Breaking Bad, Season 3, Episode 3, IFT. And actually, I just realized I don't know what IFT stands for. Maybe International Flying Tomatoes? I don't know. Uh, but it starts with a cigar lit uh, and... Uh, Someone says, I think the bartender says, hot day like today, too much oil in the machine couldn't cause it to blow a gasket. And the guy who's smoking a cigar, he's at a bar drinking, he's inside, he says, there's two kinds of people in this world. Those who drink and those who pour. And then I put Ed, Ed, oh, and customers, he said, hey, you guys, uh, I used to work hard like you, but not anymore. You know, a man can never drink his fill by waiting in line for the tap. And then his boss rolls in, and he's like, hey, what's up, man? He goes, hey, what, what, what? He goes, you're a deep thinker. By the way, what are you doing here? Aren't you supposed to be on a delivery? And the guy's like, oh, no, no, I got plenty of time. I'm the tor- Tortuga, you know, slow, but finishes first. And then they get some words that you kind of say, oh, is there a meaning to these words? Because he says, I like the way you talk, Tortuga. 
away with words flow like a waterfall. And he goes, I came all the way here to give you your birthday present, actually. And the guy's like, don't worry about it. He goes, no, no, I got it back here. And he goes, in the back, really? He goes, yep. And he goes back there, and there's a beautiful little tortuga there. And he's like, holy cow, this is really, this is for me. And he goes, oh, yeah. And he's like, this is going to be a great bet. Thank you so much. And the guy goes, let me sign it for you, for the big talker, the grand philosopher, as they say in Espanol. And then the twins come and they say, hey, let's get, let's get over to Petco and get this, uh, let's get some turtle pellets. And he says, uh, sounds good. And then we have a pizza on the roof. We have Walt wearing yellow. Uh, there's a lot of roni on the roof too, pizza, pepperoni. Walt's wearing yellow gloves. Mike's watching. This time he's in a Buick, I noticed, I think, or a Bonneville, where before he, I think he was in a Dodge or a Chrysler. I think he was in a Chrysler last uh, last season. And Mike's on the phone. He says, Walt still looks good. Uh, close call. He doesn't even know it. And he goes, don't worry. I won't say anything to Saul Goodman. So then you go, bum, bum, bum. That must be Gus. And then we have Skyler, uh in the car with singing old MacDonald, uh, and she's singing a very funny, it's a nice, it's a nice, very motherly, the way she's singing it, and very silly, and she's singing about the chickens too, I think, and then she sees Walt's car, she says, you gotta be kidding me, and, you know, she calls, she's like, well, you're, you know, what are you doing, and he, he says, uh, uh, so Skyler pulls up. She's like, you got to be kidding me. And Walt's totally playing. He's like, hey, Sky. Uh, he's just looking out the window. I guess at first it's stubborn. He's being very stubborn. And Skyler's like, what's wrong with you? And then she's like, well, I'm going to call to get you out of the house. And Walt's calm. He calls her bluff. And he tells her this family is everything. I also know Skyler was wearing a ribbon, a blue ribbon. And Walt just goes back to grading papers. Also, the legendary Afghan is still on the couch, in case anybody's like, is that Afghan still there from last week and every other week it is? I wonder if Walt's uh, mother in absentia, you know, if she had sent that uh, Afghan. And do we ever hear anything about Skylar's family? Do we know if Skylar or there was someone who could have knitted an Afghan? Uh, Walt Jr. comes home, Walt's like, hey, how about a grilled cheese, buddy? And then it's like, ding dong. And Skyler's like, this man's trespassing my husband. Uh, Walt tries to play the perfect dad for a little while. He doesn't actually doesn't try. He successfully tries. And the scop cop tries to help Skyler. He's like, just give me something to work with and I can get rid of him. Junior's like, oh, I love my daddy, daddy so much. And Skylar's attempt is, you know, rebuffed uh, by the system and her choice to be honest. And then at the end of the scene, Walt says, sorry about all this. And Skylar says, welcome home. And then she just walks off. Then we have Jesse on the floor of his, you know, his aunt's house. He's on the phone checking Jane's message. Saul rolls in with cactus, and it's immediately on great material. He says, he lives. Happy housewarming. Don't look so good to see me. Interesting decor. Subtle. You know, the whole minimalist thing never blew my hair back. But, uh, hey. He goes, you sober? You clean? You know, I was afraid you fell off the wagon since I didn't hear from you. 
And he goes, you guys are ignoring my phone calls. I'm your lawyer. What if I was trying to warn you about something? And Jesse says, spare me the sermon and tell me why you're here. And he says, all right. Well, he goes, you know, I talked about your partner. He goes, I wanted to reflow that idea. He's like, I don't know if you should get back to cooking, but, you know, with the rehab, but maybe in a master chef could. And he says, what do you think about that? And Jesse says, sure, whatever, man. And he goes, well, whatever, what? And Jesse goes, don't worry about it. Now get out of here. And so I says, look, you know, you could decorate your house. I'll pay you if you get a hold of wall, you know, call him. Oh, and I guess this is when the reveal with Jane is, because then Jesse had been on the phone earlier, but we didn't know who it was. Now, uh, Jesse calls back, and we see it's Jane's voicemail. Uh, the next thing we see is hands tapping a steering wheel. We see it's Hank's hands, and he's on a, on a call, and it ends up that El Paso wants Hank back. And Gomi's like, that's great. And then Hank's look changes at the end again. He's like, what did I get myself into? Then we see a side of a B-I-N-G-O bingo hall. A woman's on one of those uh, ATV, not an ATV, personal PEV, electrical personal vehicle. And the twins say, we're going to borrow this. And then we're out on a chicken farm. Tio's there, the brothers are there, Hefe's there, no trespassing signs, Gus is there inside, he's wearing a ribbon, yes, he's got one of those vegetable plates you buy at the very last minute before you go into a, you know, a party, and he preps that, and then he looks out the window, and then Hefe apologizes to Gus, and then they talk, they have this meeting, they're talking to go. Uh, they're talking Heisenberg, you know, he's like, yeah, I'm in business with uh, Heisenberg, this is my territory. And he's like, well, this guy, you know, Tuco and Don Salamanca, it was Tuco's mentor, it was his nephew, and, you know, it's Walter White and Tuco, they don't get along. And Gus does this kind of android movie, says, Don Salamanca, gentlemen, I feel your loss deeply, accept my condolences. I don't have any issues with what you want. I just have an issue with the timing because I'm working with this guy. But when we're done, you can, you know, you can do whatever you want. And then uh, the half he's like, we got to talk outside, Gustavo. Gustavo, he says, I don't tell you how to fry chickens. He goes, right, let me do the talking. And they said, well, this is my territory. He said, well, let's tell everybody to be patient, but... uh you better hurry up with this Heisenberg white guy. You know, you don't want to be, be an, out of my good graces. And those guys inside, and they were looking out the window at the time. He says, they, they, I can't guarantee anything for them. Uh, we also, you know, there's a lot of bell rings with Don Salamanca's lack of patience. And then we have Jesse after that looking out the window. On a phone. Oh, also, I forgot that it was something about the way Gustavo's rebelliousness reminded me of Walt's rebelliousness. Uh, like, once he decides that he's right, he's not backing down, Gus or Walter. So I said, oh, that's another way they were similar. But we have Skylar, she's smoking with the baby, you know, in the same room, but, you know, out the window. Walt's in his tidy whiteies and he needs to use the bathroom. Or maybe Skylar's smoking in the bathroom? Smoking in the loudest room. 
But uh, he needs to use the potty, so he uses the sink, which is just gross. Then we, uh, after that, Skylar's meeting with her lawyer, and the lawyer's like, you know, you got to tell me everything that's going on. We have an attorney-client privilege. Even if it's illegal, she's like, oh, yeah. She's like, I'm not your police. I'm the lawyer. And she's like, well, my husband's a meth, you know, maker. And she goes, I looked up, and then they call him Cooks. And the lawyer says, uh, you know, get divorced. And then let me tell the police, and I can get a restraining, restraining order. And she goes, this is the easy thing to do. And this guy says, can't do it. I don't want to put my son through this. And she says, well, it might not be up to you. You know, drug dealers get caught. And she's like, well, he's sick, so he's not going to be around for much longer. Then we have Hank and Gomez in a dive bar. Gomez's like, what are we doing in this dump? And there's some great material in here. Gomez says, we should have gone to Chili's, man, or Outback Steakhouse. They got the blooming onion. And he says, Hank's like, well, let's spice it up, man. And Gomez says, this spice has been around already. And he goes, aren't you getting ready to get your uh, promotion? And Hank's like, yeah, I can't wait to get back in the action up there. It's so boring here. And then Hank uh, goes to the bathroom. He's a little bit anxious. He sees the drug deal. He tries to tell Gomez, and he wants to make a move. He says, you know, they're holding. And uh, Gomez is like, everybody in here is, even the bartender probably. And he goes, I'll just call, uh, you know, Albuquerque PD, and they can deal with it. And Hank's like, what do you mean I can't deal with it? He goes, well, it could be undercover, man. Don't This isn't our business. So then, But then Hank goes in. He stirs up some trouble. Then we have the living room. Jesse's sleeping on the floor. He's still calling Jane's number until he finds out it's disconnected. Then he goes out to the RV. Key thing is he put his RV, the keys to the RV, right on the counter, the work uh, work table, work area. His wallet had shamed him uh, two seasons ago. I thought that was great. Uh, and Jesse looks ready to cook. And Walt leaves the money out for Skylar in the morning. He says, Skylar, can we talk? And he says, you know, I did a bad thing for a good, I did a bad, bad, I don't do music. So I did a bad thing for a good reason. This is college tuition for Walter Jr. and Holly. Physical therapy, SAT tutor, gas, groceries, parties, the mortgage. He goes, you know, you can work part time. He goes, I didn't steal the money. He goes, I earned it and I'm proud of it, kind of. He goes, you know, I've had to live with everything, but I've gone through sacrifices for this family. And it's for nothing if you won't accept it. And he says, I'll be here when you get home from work for your answer. Then we have Hank and go- Hank's in the bathroom. Gomez comes in. He's like, hey, I covered for you, man. But he- Gomez is like, you got to get it together. I don't know what the heck's going on with you. I'm worried. And then we have Skylar at the copier. Ted comes in. He's like, hey, Sky, you want some coffee? She's like, yeah. Oh, no. She says, hey, Sky. But in this scene, she looks way more, uh, Skylar, when she's at the copier, is way more sad as she makes the decision. Whereas Cielo seemed overcome with passion and way more sensual. But then Skylar, even though she's sad, she kind of makes her move on Ted. And after they embrace, she starts to look very sensual. She's like, are you kids home? And he goes, oh, no, oh, boy. And at some point, somebody came in, but they just pretended they were drinking coffee. 
Then Skyler comes home to her house, and Lewis and Walt Jr. are chilling. They're watching Aqua Teen Hunger Force, by the way. Good choice, boys. Well, it's like, hey, I'm making pot roast and salad. Lewis is uh, very polite, by the way. He's not a YouTube star, but he's he looks like a nice kid. And even while it's like trying to be all housemate, he's like, how was your day? And she's good, good. He goes, I invited Lewis to stay over. You know, this is a thank you for everything with Walt Jr. You know, but Lewis has helped out by why I've been cooking mess and being sick and you've been dealing with the fallout of all those things. And Walt's like, I just want to say, you know, I'm feeling real good about the talk this morning. That was a good talk, right? When I say you with the police and I wouldn't leave the house and, uh, you know, the money stuff. And Skyler's just staring at him the whole time while he's chattering. And she's breathing through her nose. Her mouth is closed. And it's just, it's just great, powerful acting. Her hands are on, one of her hands is on the counter. And then what is this? Something is good. I can't read it. It looks like a homesy is good. Oh, no, no, Walt says honesty is good. That's right. Walt says honesty is good. And Skylar walks up to Walt. She picks up the salad, and he says, Don't you think it's good, Skylar? And she goes, Yeah, me and Ted, by the way, today we crunched, you know, you know, I, uh, we, we did some, uh, you know, whatever that is, just the accountant-type stuff. And she goes, boys, come to dinner. She takes the uh, salad out. And she's like, you want some iced tea, Lewis? You're looking great today, Lewis, by the way. And the look on Walt's face, which is the way Skyler's nonchalant. I just love another capping into an episode. I loved it. And Skyler also, she says, hey, boys, eat your salad, all right? I know nobody likes salad, but it's good for you. And that's the end of the episode. Hey, so we're doing our red pen language learning run through. And I gotta tell you, I'm feeling like I'm understanding more and more, or I'm catching more and more of the words. Like my comprehension, I don't know if it's comprehension, but, but like, you know, people say, oh, you know, in another country, other languages seem so, people are speaking so fast, it's so hard to pick out the words. Uh, that That is becoming, so I say, oh, geez, those are words they're saying, and they're, they're definitely not run-on words. So there is progress, and that might sound, you know, it's a little progress at a time. You know, it only took me, what, 30 episodes or so to say, okay, I could tell when, when it's in between words. So we're, we're, we're doing work here, and the main work is getting you to sleep. So let me take a look at my first notes here. Okay, this page I have nothing. Uh, last word's going to be mirror if I can pay attention for that, which I think just means a look. But we start out with Otro, other. And you say, who's that other guy over there, Otro? Well, he's Tranquilo Patron. Well, he's the quiet patron, we call him. Ooh, is he like the silent majority? Yeah, but don't, should I go talk to him? No, no, remember, uh, remember Star Wars? Oh, yeah, I do. Well, yeah, his name is is He's the guy with the snout. Yeah, so don't go talk to him, please. Okay, I won't. 
Uh, by the way, I, I heard one time, though, one of those things, one of those things that Oracle says, you know, they'll come true. Uh, they said something about the, if the uh, Tranquilo Patron has a hosio, uh, be prepared for the coming of Las Unas, the ones, I think. I'm not positive. It was it was in there. It was, I think that was a prophecy. Or it might have been in line at a pharmacy. I think it was a prophecy, though. Sabian Porque, you know that? Did you know that? That's a prophecy I'm trying to tell you. You know, don't look at me like I'm a pendejo. Uh, pendejo. Bandejo, and even Google Translate got it, so it means I was wrong when I said bandejo. It's pendejo, which means, you know, not smart, not not bright, and not, definitely not profundo, but deep. But this, uh, this, uh, this oracle, she was deep, man. She said, fije, fiese, fiese, look into, look profundo into my ojos and the next thing she said to me is try a brings listen for a try a brings the ritmo of the universe the rhythm of ritmo rhythm of the universe and i said uh, wait do you want me to look in your eyes or de tu boca in your mouth for the rhythm and she said andale andale which I think means, you know, hurry up and get out of here. But he said, I'm sorry, because I paid for a full reading, a full or oracle. That's a noun, though. What's a verb? Are you, if you're an oracle, is that a verb? You know, is that one of those noun verbs? And then someone said Mira, and then I got distracted, and then the oracle was gone. Now let me just look at my notes for this page, and then we'll return to the fantasy tale of language learning. Okay, later in the scene, we have a scene with a close-up of Junior looking mad that it was super close-up of him. But that's it on this page of notes, so we'll go back to our Spanish story. So I was looking in the oracle's mouth, right? And then they said, Andale, and they said, Mira again to distract me. And then I heard a little chirping, and I said, uh, Is that your una mascota? Is that, your, is that a pet I hear? A little parakeet? And I said, hello, little parakeet. That is a lovely cabecita you have. That is, you know, parakeets have lovely heads. And the oracle came back and she said, that's not a parakeet, uh, Bandejo. And I said, is that your parakeet's name, Bandejo? And she said, that's not funny, Bandejo. And I said, what if we call him Bandejo? Because he does, he's, he's got the... His feathers, can feathers have a complexion? Because his feathers are the complexion, she said it's her. I said, her feathers are the complexion of a Band-Aid. And I said, observe you know, observe it. And then, you believe it or not, this bird, which is not a parakeet, but I thought it was a Band-Aid-colored parakeet, it started, uh, what do you call it, colando, kicking its bird seat at me. Uh, colando. And then I said, it was blocking my way to the door. And I said, uh, you know, this puts me in an odd situation uh, because uh, the last oracle I met with told me, and now I never step in noon capasso birdseed. I never step on birdseed. So I can't leave until you give me an oracling. 
which is probably the verb related to or- an orkling. Just give me a little orkling and I'll be out of here. And yeah, you could ask me how to spell it, is it? Or, you know, it's, I'd prefer it with a K-A-N in there, you know, an orkling. And yeah, we could use it for my own uh, mascota. This is my little baby orkling. Yeah, I pulled him out of the world of Warcraft. I said, I don't want you living in a world of Warcrafts. My little orkling. I'm going to take you to the world of, you know, peace crafts, paper crafts, you know, non, you know, blunt edge paper crafts. So you don't have to worry about, you know, when he's not my orkling. And, you know, you know, Los Politos, the chicks, the chicks and the chickens, they think I'm against them. So maybe now the parakeets are going to think the same thing. But I'm not leaving here till I'm, me and my orkling are not leaving here without a prophecy. And then she said, okay, descend, descend. And I said, they say, they say, la galina, the chicken, Busca will search, the chicken will search, or search, Elmas, el trigo for corn wheat. And I said, like corn flakes? And she said, will be uh, turned. Say, say, tune, turn. And I said, wait a second. So that's my, that's my prophecy. Black uh, Alina Busca Almaz Altrigo. The chicken will search for cornflakes. And I said, what is that for my shopping? Because I said, I don't like cornflakes. Unless they have, a, you know, maybe frosted flakes or cornflakes with sugar. I said, well, actually, every once in a while, you got me, Oracle. Me and my Orkling are going to leave. We're going to uh, hear me. Because uh, I think you, Hesiste, uh, you did you did uh, meet our acuerdo, our agreement. And que uh, la pasa, as it happens, I'll just get, I'll, I'll just get here bastante, quietly. And if there's a Yelp for Oracles, Sacaste, you got my, ra- you know, I'll never get around to writing a review, but. Uh, Sacaste, you got my respect. Because I, I said ice cold milk and corn flakes. Every once in a while, uh, did I say corn flakes? Oh boy. Orkling, did you hear me say that? And I can hear the audience out there wondering about my orkling, my little orkling. Does it have wings? Yes. Does it have a snout, which was in Spanish? Uh, Ocio. Yes, it does. It does. It's like a little baby orc with wings. It has those, uh, like, teeth that come up. Uh, but as I was about to leave, she said, Adver- Adverto, Adverto, Adverto. Uh, and I said, you, are you warning me? And she said, yes, Adverto, I warn. And then my orc wings started squawking. And she, she said, peor, like worse, but I didn't know what was going to get worse. And she started speaking in tongues. She was saying sonad, sonando, playing, encarga, encargada, uh, charge. And I said, okay, so don't play with the charges, Orkling. You got that? Let's go. And then I remember when Junior said, see super. Uh, how are you doing? See super. Like he wasn't just doing good. He was doing super. And in my orkling, sometimes he'll see gun. It'll follow me over my shoulder in case it has to rest, but it'll fly. It's wing supported. And you might say, how do you get an orkling? And how do you get it out of the world of Warcraft? Well, yeah, I signed a fermato. I did sign something. 
a little sake to get it out, a little sake. And believe it or not, it was a denuncia, a complaint. I stuck, I got in there behind one of the battle lines, and I said, where's the complaint box? And I said, who's the demigod in this region? What is this, the lava lands? Give me the demigod. I have to file a denuncia. And then the demigod came, you know, we went back and forth. I said, oh, soplico, soplico, I beg, I beg for this uh, Orkling's freedom. Give me a quest, you know, of where, outside of this universe. And that's how he said, bring me back some... uh, prophecies about this world, you know, the world of Warcrafting. And I said, there's no chance of me meeting you in, like, the world of cupcaking, you know, because I feel like my workling is more suited towards, you know, something more in the baking, crafting world. Then this, you know, I'm a war, I could craft, actually, I don't even, I couldn't even craft a war. I'd just be in the world of war masks instead of Warcraft. So I respect the fact that you're a Warcrafter. You know, I, but you're lucky I'm not here because I would just, you know, do you guys have chaos out here? Cause I, and then he went off to battle and I said, okay, let's go. Well, Morata, let's go home. And I even said, then someone tried to, I said, compromiso, excuse me, I'm leaving the world of Warcraft. We have, uh, well, we we would like to discover how the cupcake lands. World of cupcaking, preferably. Maybe not cupcake crafting, though. Maybe is there a lower universe, but that's not like cupcake hell. Like a cupcake, we don't want to be in even limbo. But I said, I don't think I'm up for cupcake crafting. But maybe, you know, what do you think about it? And then squawk, squawk, my uh, workling went... And I said, maybe I should stay because Alabador uh, Furor. Like, maybe they'll praise my fury there. And he, he at Akello, at that, he said nothing. But as we left the World of Warcraft, we were like Dan Perdido, so lost. It was like a Dharma Laura or something. And then, I, then all of a sudden... I heard Pipiendo, something calling. I thought it was me. And then I said, Vivir Juror, it's a live juror. And they said, What universe are you from? The jury universe? And they said, Basabare, you will see. And they said, What are you, a parrot that lost its job? My outworkling should be doing some parroting. They said, Could you learn that? Basabare. Sounds just like a, a, a pirate's parrot. And you could be. You know, what am I again? What did that lady say? I was a bandejo, right? Maybe, Workling, would you eat her parakeet? No. Okay. Well, uh, uh, ciao, ciao, juror. We got to go. Uh, no space feliz. I'm not as happy as I thought I would be. Uh, Disculpe, it might be my fault. It could be your fault. But, you know, inside I'm just a heel, just a child, just like my little Workling. Tapatio did not translate. Next thing I know, though, me and my working with Manejo, we drove forever. Oh, no, wait. Actually, it was Manejo. My, my working drove me nuts with his talking. And then he said the most offensive. He said, aquí está la mama. Here's the breast, according to Google Translate. And he said, what do you... And then I said, oh, is that... Oh, wait, you don't have fully... And they said, you need some orkling milk. 
And then I said, Oregon sees, am I going to have to organize a orc milking party? Well, we definitely don't want to go to the World of Warcraft for that, but what other worlds are, are Mama Orcs in? And I'll be honest, Estuve, I was uh, beside myself. But then next thing you know, Assessorar, I found someone to advise me. And I said, who could authorize authorize a, uh, a purchase of uh, legal orc milk from a non-warlike orc? And they said, I'll tell you, who, Abogada, a lawyer. And I said, really, it's a legal transaction. And I said, what if I just pardon beg for forgiveness, you know, for the all the wrongs we've done for orcs, you know, publicly on my podcast, and say, just like uh, people say about the Khaleesi, what about orcs, uh, say Sabin, they are, they are known. It's not the same. People say it is known, Khaleesi, but they say Sabin, they are known, the orcs, to be so generous. And I could get a Alarago, an extension cord, you know, to bring the milk from another universe to my workling. Or how about this, Esta Oya Podria, this pie could hold some work milk. Pinche Gue, did you say damn dude, Pinche Gue? Yeah, it's enough with the work milk? Okay, well, she said, I got a workling here that's hungry. I'm just trying to follow protocol, uh, protocol. You know, actually, it's not making it up as I go along, but I figure he said something about milk, okay? And uh, no say sapo is what I'd say to you if you get in my way of work milk, you know? And that's something to do with frog face, so you don't want to know what it means. And I would say, can't we just have a buena suma, a good sum, a good result between all of us? It's like basio, basio, basic, you know, kindness. Let's get this orkling some milk. Oh, this isn't an orkling. Hmm. I've been, are you sure? It looks like an orc with wings. Swayeldo, I'm willing to bet my whole salary. Not a lot of money, but a lot to me. Swayeldo. No, it's not an orkling. You know, talento sentido. I sense talent in you. Wait a second, Saliste. Did you go out with my sister, Saliste? Did you go out with her? Uh, no, Sige, you want me to follow you? Did you just say, hola, Lucho, hello, I fight? Oh, for the orc wing's rights. I like that. Except I mispronounced orcling there. How many times do you think I've ever said orcling in this? A lot, huh? It's a, it's a really nice word. It's a little hard. My upper palate's tiring out, as I say it so many times. But in, in, in absoluto, at all I can say, oh, they're saying my orcling's imaginary. Well, the, be, the behemoth, we must back, go back and go over my notes. And the answer, Acosta and Ernesto made lay in earnestness. So, okay, let's go look at these notes. I can't believe Pinche Gue finally translated. Okay, so a couple other notes. There's a close up of Junior Mad. We got that. Oh, Saul had a wonderful knock on uh, Jose's door with a knocker, with a door knocker. And me and Co, you know, we listened to that for a while. We laughed. We said, this guy's comedic in his knocking. And then Saul did a nice impersonation when he was with Jose of Jose's Huff. He said, or something like that. And that's when he said, Basa Bear. 
I noticed Jose still had the plant he took from his mother with his tomato plant from Saul. And then I liked it when Henry was whistling to, 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 to try to ignore Gomez. So Gomez would ask him if he got his promotion. In Walt's home, Walton Cielo's home, in the hall by the bathroom, there were cubbies in the wall. And they looked like there was a little small beer stein collection, like a three or four beer steins. And then Walter Cook's math, oh, that was, she told the lawyer that. So at least a, and I think that's it for our notes. So that's it for our uh, language running red pen run through. Me and my workling say good night. Okay, thank yous and good night. I want to say thank you and good night to Tiffany, to Ben, good night. Uh, to Damon D on the back of, I hope your pillow's giving you back up. Good night, Bob, uh, Mr. Sound Effects. Good night. Good night, Teresa. S. Good night, Alexandra. Good night, Shane. Good night, Megan. Good night, Rebecca. Good night, Summer and Summer's husband. Good night. Good night, Audrey. Good night, Chris Ann, in case you're listening. Adriana, good night. Catherine, good night. Uh, good night, Denise. Good night, Joey. Good night, Lauren. Good night, sleep tight. Good night, Posty Posters, and good night, Eric. iTunes reviews. Good night. I want to say thank you again to Tay Zaney because that was so fun. I want to say good night to Honey Mears, my little Honey Mears from New Zealand. Thank you, Honey Mears, who says the podcast is simply amazing. And if they found it earlier, they would have a big pharma be hurting money wise. All a monster uh, says they usually fall asleep to podcasts, but you know, good ones make them think and stuff. This one doesn't. So thanks, all a monster. Is I wonder, are you friends with Cookie Monster? Could you tell Cookie Monster I just say hi? That's it. I don't want anything other than to say hi. Uh, Julia Grace. Uh, I hope you, I wish I could think of something that rhymes with that. I didn't. I just totally messed that up. But Julie Grace is a grad student who says the uh, podcast works. Thank you. Yeah, Rio makes me want to sing, but I'm trying not to sing at the end. I don't want to wake anybody up. But I want to see Yeah, Rio, you know, that you dance on the sand and you dance across the Rio Grande. And I can't think of the rest, but it's better than meds. Works like a charm. Thanks, yeah, Rio. Uh, Miss 084. That's a brain bot. I didn't know brain bots could marry, but I guess apparently they can. Or maybe this, you know, this brain bot, is, I don't know, but uh, loves the podcast in Australia. Hey, you know, musical interludes on TAL. This American Life usually wake, wake Miss 084 up. So this is the podcast, all right? We're trying some stuff new around the holidays because so, it's like our lowest listening time. So I hope none of this stuff we're testing wakes you up to miss a wait for. Well, if it does, let me know so I know to take that under advisement. Uh, Davis5823 says, sleep with me. Done and done. I mean, you know, podcast digitally. Not di- I mean, digitally via the podcast. Not that machine that somebody said, hey, just put it, you know, you strap that there. 
And I said, what? They said, who is behind this? Is this, the new, is this what the new movie's about? But anyway, Davis5823 says, two stories, you'll be hooked. Thank you. Uh, Tenneke, that rhymes with Benneke. That's funny. And it's their favorite podcast. So it's kind of like Ted Benneke, who I call Bernanke sometimes. Tenneke. It sounds exactly like Benneke, I think. Uh, yep, 8739. Says they were skeptical. They started off, they started very at the beginning with the Hall and Oates episode, and they were like, oh boy. But then they said, well, Jesus, you know, then they fell asleep. Who would think that me talking, you know, trying to make sense of a, you know, it's the gobbledygook in my brain, you know. It's not Hall and Oates' fault, believe me, you know, they're, 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 I love Hall and Oates. Uh, Emily. Wait, E-L, L. Millie Fleff. L. Millie Fleff. I think I got that right, too. That's a complicated little ditty there. It says you with two O's and a, a, a cat. What is that thing? Exclamation point. It says this podcast is awesome. Well, thank you. O-O. F-Bird said, no, F-I-R-D, Ferd. I, I wanted to say F-Bird, which is Ferd. Ferd is the word. Have you, did you guys know that Ferd is the word? They don't know how or why it works, but, you know, it does for Ferd. Thank you. Uh, here is another uh, our friend friend of ours from Australia, Scott I. Scott A. Biggin. Scott A. Biggin. Scott A. Biggin. That's kind of like scatterbrains in Australia. I think that's what they call me down there. Scott A. Biggin. They said, because I said I, I was licking Ayers Rock. Now, this was in a dream, but some guy said, what are you doing? What are you, some kind of scuttlebinging? And I said, no, I'm looking. I just wanted to see if it, t- I said, I wanted to know what airs taste like. And then I, but then I woke up. But rusty tones that rock sleep. Like the creaky side of dulcet. Those are my words, though. They've been listening six months. Holy cow. That's a dedication. They went through a breakup, and so that's great. 60 minutes should take care of it. And that's Scottabigan in Newcastle. Thank you, Scottabigan. And then we have Sandy Pants. With, with, believe it or not, you wouldn't be able to spell it, even those of you that are good spellers. S-A-N-D-double-I-P-A-N-T-Z. Sandy Pants. And that's the worst kind of pants to have, you know, because you don't want Sandy if you say, you know, especially at bedtime, Sandy Pants are terrible. But they say, Wow. They usually need silence and darkness to get to sleep. With the gobbledygook, he has like a, they listened to the first episode and then they woke up. Sweet. So thanks, Sandy Pants. Okay, next up, Aussie10257. Exactly what they were looking for. Thank you. Uh, search for a podcast to drift off sleep. No sounds they wanted. Just someone talking. Boom, that's what you got. Well, and they already wrote an article or a review, and they only listened once, so hopefully, you know, they stay liking us. Thank you, Aussie. But that was a USA review, but maybe it was, a, a, you know, Aussie in the USA. And then the next person doesn't like it. They said, they said I have a horrible voice. And I say, She's, well, I'm going to have to use it to say thank you. Whoa, boy. That's Doc Flimflam. He compares me to a, 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 what do you call it, a Kardashian. 
So, and then they, I think they must have their own podcast because then they recommend a podcast with that's pretty low. But maybe it's just they don't appreciate, but they said it, it's, they didn't like me. So, that's Doc Flim Flam. Thanks. Uh, but hey, Lar Anotabarb, Lar Anotabarb loves the podcast. So, that's nice. And they like the pleasant rambling nonsense that drowns out their thoughts. It looks like at a distance, looks like Lando Barb. So I say, geez, you, that's a, that's my favorite calis, calrissian Lando. A mumble bear fan uh, says it works like a charm. Oh, mumble bear said thanks. So thanks, mumble bear fan. Uh, silent Duma, D-O-U-M-A, says, a, whoa, hero, holy mackerel. And they've tried a bunch of stuff, but, you know, the brain bots are these, they have, Silent Doom has got top quality brain bots, it sounds like, because they tried movies, books, TVs. And then, the, the, you know, this works, so that's that's all we need. Uh, great podcast, that was by Two Docs Floating, and they say, uh, really works, thank you, Two Docs. I'll give you, hey, how about I give you, we give you two more docs. I'm going to dock you. We reverse the dock and you pay. I'm going to double dock you. Thank yous in reverse or something. And then COS commuter says it works. I don't know if that's a Colorado commuter, but whatever whatever commute you're doing, keep it up. And then Twitter, I want to say thanks to Chris B, CB River, um, Egg Onion, Megan. Good night. I want to say good night to Rachadoodle. Lady Jane, Lady. Hello, Graham. I want to say good night to Karina. Good night. Awkward platypus. You're not awkward in my book. Why not? That's what I say. Uh, Simon R., thank you. Mm, Simon, Simon, thank you, Simon. I want to thank Words Are Birds. Thank you. Uh, Tenny Shoe. Thank you, Tenny Shoe. You're like uh, Jacob. Thank you. Good night. You're like a 50 shoe to me, if that's better. Oh, Andrew, thank you. Good night, Andrew. Uh, damn Insomniac, thank you. And good night, Chris A., good night to you. Uh, e Orphan, good night, good night to you. Uh, Matt Hurt from Obsessive Viewer Podcast, good night again. Michaela, good night. Laurias, good night. Lisa, good night. Mandex, good night. Lila, lie, good night. Good night to all. And I want to say good night to Lori S. Laura B. Or Laura B. B. S. R. I guess. But Robert Julie C. Good night. Linda P. Sean. Lindy. Jennifer B. Julie F. Jason and Jennifer. Aaron D. Uh, Jude V. Good night. Cindy C., good night. Alan Q.H., good night. Emily H.M., good night. Polly P., Callie A., Linda K., uh, Donna A., Moira, uh, Jana, I, thank you. Uh, Princess G., thank you. Uh, Rachel B., good night. Roberto, good night. Joan M., good night. Julia R., good night. Tyler K., good night. Jeff B., good night. Ricardo V., good night. Uh, Corey R., good night. 
uh, Melissa B, good night. And I said, and everybody, everybody out there, I didn't thank. I'm still thankful for you. Whether I, you know, forgot you and hurt your feelings, and I'm also so, I'm still thankful. And all you out there, sleeping in the deep dark night, even if your ears can just barely hear the vibrations, no, I'm so thankful you're asleep. Because I know, oh boy, do I know. So rest well this winter. Is it winter this late autumn? Tis the season for slumber, as I just said just now. Good night. Thanks so much. Hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble falling asleep? Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that's here to put you to sleep. We do with a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest. And what is the rest? Well, I'm, I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to try to take your mind off of whatever's been running through your brain or running through your body. Whatever's been keeping you awake, I'm going to try to distract you from that. And I'm going to do that by creating a safe place where you can set aside whatever's been keeping you up at night. And I don't know if I just said that. I, mean, I don't know why I'm so distracted. Uh, or my, I don't know if my brain is recording right now. But I'm going to try to distract you from whatever's keeping you up at night. I think I covered that part. And the safe places that I'm going to tell you a bedtime story. You only have to listen part way. And the bedtime story is going to be a little bit silly. A little bit interesting. A little bit uh, barely engaging. And it'll have a lot of, like, turns or sides, like slow turns, not not sharp turns. Or, you know, over a lot of speeches, probably, where you say, okay, well, let me tell you what this person said. Well, first, they, they wiped their hands on their pants, as they like to do before they speak. And then they cleared their throat. And their eyes were open. As a matter of fact, their eyes were open. So I'll do stuff like that. I'm going to try to use lulling, soothing tones, pointless meanders, uh, unresolved metaphors. All, all to take your mind off of stuff, whether it's your uh, physical body that's keeping you up at night, your, you know, your stuff you're thinking about from the past, present, or future. Uh, or, you know, some sort of emotional turbulence, maybe I mean, the holiday seasons, all these different holiday events, you know, they can cause, they can stir people up. They can cause anxiety, stress, you know, whatever it is. I want, I want to, I have a holiday story, but you have no, you know, that you have no skin in the game. Now this, and then this, it brings me to a meander, a meandering wonder. I wonder, and I wonder why. It just, skin in the game sounds offensive. Is it offensive? I don't know, because this is in the podcast where I look stuff up with interesting facts. Well, I did my research, and it doesn't matter. You know, that's a good podcast, like The Illusionist. Uh, you know, the, the, or, you know, some podcast where a person put, puts in so much effort to, 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 you know, either teaching you, enlightening you, or are you saying, hey, come on a journey, 
as I discover the meaning behind these words or the history of this. Why is this designed this way? Here I say, hey, give me your attention. And all the work goes into me, you know, kind of, I put a lot of work into this. But it's also, you don't have to pay attention. It's strange. I know you say, geez, well, poor Scooter. But, but, but I think there is something to it. I, I write, so tonight we're talking about Roberta Claus, who was Santa Claus's replacement. You may or may not have heard about it, but uh, this is her story tonight. And so we'll be covering some of that stuff. A reporter will be reporting in, but it'll be a linear story where he'll just say, you know, and then we just say, and I said, and then I said, why, where are your elf boots and what are elf boots? Do you make it, what's the biggest shoe size an elf's ever had? You know, we're reporting, you know, thank you, Kai, reporting for Marketplace on, you know, the elf, uh, you know, is it, what would you call the uh, North Pole, the internal North Pole economy? Is it a gray market? You know, is it, is it some sort of, uh, you know, co- company town? So, you know, that's, so that's the podcast. So the main thing is I, I just don't want you, I know how it feels to, to just not be able to, you see, you just, you lie down and your brain starts piping up. I, I want to take your mind off of that. And I can't really quite put it into a tight metaphor. Sometimes I try to do these intros with a silly metaphor or ideally like a, you know, a tight one where you say, oh boy, Scoots nailed that metaphor. You know, you might say, you know, I never heard it put that way. And then, you know, party brain might be, oh, because it didn't make any sense. It wasn't related to the statement before that. And then ideally you would yawn. And you'd, you'd pat that part of your brain, you know, that internal observer who thinks, that, you know, it's like the internal watchman or something, always watching my behavior. And you say, yeah, yeah, Scoots, he, he, Scoots doesn't get much right, but he puts me to sleep. And then that party might be like, well, do you even know who Roberta Colossus is? And you say, well, no. I mean, I know she's... No, I don't. Is she Mrs. Gloss or is she independent? Did she take a... Well, and they said, well, don't, don't you listen to the story? No, Scoot said I could go to sleep whenever I want. He's my boyfriend. And I'd say, that's right, brain parts. I'm, I'm the boyfriend. I'm here to distract. I'm here to pause. I'm here to trip over my own words. I'm like an Olympian... Well, now I'm trying to think if there's a metaphor in there. There is probably. They say, well, what comes? So we know we got the Olympics. Then you got those things. They're like kind of Olympic events. You know, they're like, hey, we're testing this out, or we're thinking about bringing this back to you know the, the almost Olympics. But they say, hey, we're going to give you. You know, we don't have anything going on at 10:30 a.m. on uh, on Tuesday. I think they're called alternatives, but I'm not sure. But they'd say, well, we'd put Scoots in, you know, if if debate makes it into the Olympics, you know, maybe one day there'd be some room. Probably not, though. If debate gets in, it probably spells doom for Scoots. And they say even, you know, someone like a time waster, that's more competitive. You know, you say, geez, can, whose time can you waste or whose time... And they say, really, 
You know, Scoots is kind of just like, he's like uh, the D- Dr. Doolittle asleep. He, he talks to the animals, but the, you know, the little animals that keep you up at night. And someone may say, that's not what Dr. Doolittle was about at all. And I said, well, and she's okay. Well, this is a settle down, boys. I just, you know, I'm not feeling down. I just got told I'd never be in the Olympics. And I just thought maybe there was a small chance, a smidgen, I'd say maybe I could go through the Olympic Village, though, and say, Hola, hola, mon frère, could I, you know, could I wish, you know, no, okay, I'm banned from the Olympics. But I say, you know, maybe I could bore some Olympians to sleep, believe it or not. uh, One of my upstairs neighbors, he did try out for the Olympics. And two of his friends, and they were all, you would say, geez, most people would think, or maybe only I would say, Olympians are probably, these were the three, three of the nicest people I've ever met. They were trying to get in the Olympics for rowing, or crew, no, rowing, I believe. And they, these were three of the nicest people I've ever come across. And I think it was Johan, Mike, and Mike. I think was it, Johan still lives upstairs, but the other two guys, I know one was Mike. He moved to San Francisco, and I think the other guy's name was Mike, and he was out here uh, just for the Olympics, you know, training and trials or whatever. And it was sad none of them made it. I said, Jesus, I would give an award for kicking ass. And I said, Jesus, I hope I didn't do anything that time I made the chili. I hope that didn't play into that. But none of that really, none of that nonsense really matters. The main thing is I'm here to try to take your mind off stuff if... If you're here and, and you're, you've been up tossing and turning, you've tried other things, give this podcast a few tries. I, I, I do this with, with the, the, the fullest amount of effort I can. And I just want to help you fall asleep. It's, it's a silly thing, I know. It's not guided meditation. It's not exactly like it's the same thing as ASMR. Or some sort of other, no, it's, 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 hip, it's, hip, it's hypnotic, you know, like watching, like that popcorn video that everybody, like hypnotic, like watching someone uh, lose their popcorn in a movie theater lobby. And they say, no, Scoots, that's way more. Okay, well, like I said, like. It's hypnotic, like, you know, why, that, you know, when you're watching, this podcast is the balloon you know, four minutes after someone let go of it, when you forget that, so, and you're just watching that balloon go up in the sky. And you see, geez, I don't know why I'm still watching. I know it's going to disappear at some point, but I'm still just watching it, not really doing anything, just gently going back and forth. But at some point, you know, as John Berger might say, not might never say, like you'll become the watch, you know, the watched instead of the watcher, and you you'll be the balloon disappearing into sleep, ideally. So we did kind of fit in a metaphor there, within a metaphor. But the main thing is, I'm glad you're here, and I hope I help you fall asleep. Thanks for coming by. Hey, everybody, it's Scooter. I'm going to hand things right over to Claude Nian uh, to take over our holiday serial series, which I don't think, I think it's just called the uh, Claude, Claude Nian Report Made for now because I couldn't think anything else. So I'm going to throw things over to Claude Nian. And he's a report, you know, uh, correspondent.
Uh, good evening, everyone. This is Claude Neon reporting. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you, Scooter. And those of you who were, were with us last week but were not awake, or those of you who were not with us, last week I was able to publish a report where I tracked down Roberta Kloss, who most of us know over the past year had a, a abrupt rise into the public eye and then an abrupt fall out of the public eye as Santa Claus became real. He became a public figure, a real public figure in our world. And then not long after that, Santa Claus passed on and the world mourned. And those were, were bright days we had together in mourning. But after Santa Claus's passing, the world was informed that Roberta Claus, Roberta Claus had taken over for Santa Claus. So she was the new Santa Claus. And then the world quickly turned against her. You could see it in my prior report, but uh, rejected Roberta Claus's authority. And then she quickly, as the intensity of the outrage and the pushback, she dropped from the scene. And I, I followed my curiosity. I said, where is this Roberta Claus and why is she in hiding? And just recently I had tracked her down and I had spoken with her uh, to find out why. And apparently I was incorrect. My theory had been that she was still planning Christmas and that she was up to something. Interviews with children and research I had done on my own had said this childlike mythology had started with this secret Santa and I thought Roberta Claus was behind it. And, you know, even though I'm a reporter, I am a human being and I am a Christmas Santa Claus fan. So I was hoping to discover that Roberta Claus was just steps away from, you know, getting the, you know, oiling the sleigh and all those things. But I was shocked to learn, or maybe I was not shocked to learn, I was disappointed to learn that Roberta Claus was truly in hiding. She was alone. And that while she hadn't given up on Christmas, she had decided to take Christmas off and to take this year off of Christmas in 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 and we some of us know that Roberta Claus before there's not clear reports, but I'm pretty sure uh, from Scooter, the, the young man that does this program normally, he he claims that she was once a human being and a scientist, and so I said, well, she's she's going to observe Christmas. But as I told Roberta Claus about my theories about Christmas, about Secret Santa, she became very nervous and upset. And she did not like this idea of a, a, Santa, a secret Santa that was going through these ch children. But they said there is another Santa out there, a secret Santa. And Roberta Claus uh, suspected that the secret Santa may not have intentions that were best for the children of the world. And and I filed that report with Scooter, but then after I sent the files out, I sat down to review my notes and to prepare. Roberta Claus was trying to figure out what her next move would be. 
and how he would deal with Secret Santa. And we were in a small apartment in an undisclosed location, a fairly populated area, and there was a knock at the door. Now, I wasn't shocked or frightened by this knock, and neither was Roberta Claus. For many of you may wonder, well, geez, how, how did you, you're some gumshoe, you're some reporter called Neon. You tracked down Santa Claus, and no one's done that in thousands and thousands of years. And people have been searching the globe for this Roberta Claus. How did you, well, I did have an inside man, an inside elf in this case, uh, named Spackle the Elf. Now, Spackle is not a Christmas elf, you might say. Is he a North Pole elf? Does he work for Roberta Claus? Did he turn a... All the questions about Spackle will be answered. But Spackle is a forest elf, and he knows uh, the man who produces his podcast, Scooter. But Spackle was an essential part of me. And I uh, trailed or tracked down Roberta Claus. But as I said before, I described Spackle there. There was a knock at the door. Now, as I went to the door, I was expecting Spackle the Elf to be standing on the other side of that door. But when I opened the door, he was not standing there. Standing on the other side of the door was a young child, and I won't give out any of the details of the child other than to say the child stood there. And for a second, I stood there because I said it took me a while to absorb the fact. And to say I enjoyed my time with Spackle thus far would be an understatement. So I expected to see my good friend Spackle the Elf standing at the door there to ease my transition with Roberta Claus and help us. Not save Christmas, but, you know, figure stuff out, I guess. But there was a child there. And my, I, 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 there was something about the look on the child's face. It wasn't fear. But it was, it, it triggered some something in me. And I said to the child, I said, yes, child. And the child said, is Roberta Claus here? And Roberta Claus, I could hear her gasp. And I said, I said, Roberta Claus. To the child looked past me and saw Roberta Claus and said, Roberta, they're coming for you. You need to go now. And Roberta Claus said, let's go. And without anything other than grabbing a coat and a small bag, she packed, she said, are you ready? Let's go. And I said, I said, I said in my brain, I did not say this aloud. I said, well, she she must have been on the run for a while and used to this. But I also sensed a hurry, and she 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 walked past me and walked out the door, and she said, "Thank you." And she patted the child's head, and she walked past, and I rushed to catch up with her, and she said, "Do you have a car?" I said, "Yes, it's not far." And she said, did you say you're traveling with an elf? And I said, yes, Spackle the elf. And she said, Spackle the She goes, I know who that is. And I said, we won't talk about you and Spackle's history, Roberta Claus. But I said, we walked to my rental car and we got in. 
And Roberta Claus said, where's Speck? I said, back at the room we're renting. And she said, oh, do you use we? And I said, yes, we do. Yes, I did. And then she said, we'll, we'll, we'll get him soon. And then she said, take a right. And I said, Roberta, where are we going? She said, we need to rent a U-Haul. And she said it was such a, I, I thought, I said, just drive, just drive, Claude. And we went to a, a, a U-Haul place. It was not actually, it was another place that rents those type of trucks. And she said, go in there and rent a truck and, and make it quick. And I went in and I, I tried to make, I could not make it quick. It was, there was a lot of paperwork and questions and I had to, I said, well, I'm moving. And I said, am I lying? If lying for Roberta Claus, I thought it was strange. But she she did not tell me to lie. But I said, well, I'm in the naughty list now. It actually gave me a bright spot. But then I just, and I, it was very difficult to back up the uh, U-Haul. But I got it. And then we, then it was really boring. We returned my rental car to the rental car agency, and then we were both in the U-Haul. And I said, where to next, Roberta? And she said, we need my sleigh. And we drove, and I said, what about the reindeer? And she said, they've already been, she goes, they've been taken to the Dusseldorf Zoo. She goes, they were taken months ago. She goes, they're perfectly happy. It's a, you know, wild, roaming, beautiful zoo in Dusseldorf. I've never been there, she said, but I've been led to believe that the reindeer are very happy. But we need to get my sleigh. And as we pulled down the street, you know, many, many turns and things, cobblestone street. It was a dark street. It was filled with those old wooden garages and felt like a, it was close to the water as the air came in through the window, like an old uh, but refurbished dock area. And she said, it, it, it's, it's up here on the right, but then we heard the noises of a crowd, a crowd, uh, and it sounded like a mob, not an angry mob, but muttering of uh, thousands and thousands of people. It turns out it was only hundreds and hundreds of people. But Roberta peeked around the corner and I peeked over her shoulder. And not two blocks from where these warehouses were, these garages were, was a small square filled with people with, with, with some sort of burning. I said, oh man, this is a mob. This is the mob the child was talking about, but we loaded the Roberta's sleigh into the U-Haul, and she seemed to be an expert at the logistics of pushing the sleigh. And she said, don't worry, this, you know, is highly slidable. You know, very, very, so we've, it was the easiest thing I've ever moved. I can't imagine it getting it through a door of an apartment building or up a flight of stairs or two. But we got it in the U-Haul. And then more chattering came from the mob. And Roberta slid the U-Haul door closed. And it made this sound and then the slam and the click of the latch. 
And she said, let's go. And, and as we, and, and I said, in the U-Haul, she said, no. And we watched, we watched the group. And, and again, I, as I watched closer and took a few minutes at a, something about the closing of the U-Haul, something about that sounded calmed me down a bit. And it was just, it didn't seem like an angry mob. It was people with candles. And I noticed they had started filing into a church. And I said, oh, okay. And as the people filed in the church, Roberta put her collar up. She put her hood up and, and she said, let's go. And we followed these people into a packed church. And I'm Claude and Dion. I was raised not far from the town in the city in the country where we may may not be at this time. And I was raised by two parents who believed in something, so this wasn't unfamiliar to me. But I racked my brain, what was the feast night? And I could find none on the date that it was. And I even looked on my phone, I said, is it a feast of uh, St. Barnabas? No. But as we walked into this church, it was packed with families. It was packed with people there, sharing their space, sharing their oxygen, sharing their sweat almost. And candles were burning, and everyone seemed somewhat patient. But there was also something on their faces. They started to sing. And it was a hymn that was, it was one of those hymns that is both beautiful and morose at the same time. It doesn't fill you with joy, but it doesn't fill you with sorrow either. And Roberta and I watch, and then someone across the church stood up and they said, That's her. That's Roberta Claus. Uh, and then the crowd changed, and they started shouting at her, and we ran, and we were quick, and we got out of that church, and we got in the new home, we drove back to the room I was sharing with Spackle the Elf, and I ran up the two flights of stairs, and I said, Spackle, it's time to go, and Spackle was covered in popcorn, which she really irritated me at the time. Until I realized later, he said, well, I was, you know, making a popcorn. He was doing those popcorn garlands. But at the time, I said, yeah, Spackle. I said, we're going to share the pop. I said, let's go. I got Roberta Claus. And we grabbed our things. And we hopped in the U-Haul and Roberta Claus drove. Roberta Spankle and I spent days driving, driving across the continent, stopping at town and city, a village and hamlet. And with every stop, we found more of the same people in churches, people in shelters, people at food banks, groups gathered, giving their time. And I could tell Roberta had started to have doubts about how much of an impending threat it was. And we talked about it. And those conversations are semi-private, but we went back and forth. 
like, was this something to be concerned about? Was this something to worry about? Or was this uh, a continuation of, of some sort of new Christmas, some post-Santa Christmas? And, and it brought up uh, emotions on both sides. Now, Spackle, we could talk about at another point, but Spackle stayed mostly silent. But we went back and forth looking at all the angles, and Roberta is a keen observer. So she had lots to offer. And we were close to having the feeling that, yes, maybe Roberta's withdrawal, maybe the mourning around Santa, maybe the fracturing of Christmas. But we wondered, could this be a good thing? But there was something else at every stop we made, something in my gut that didn't ring true. And eventually, Roberta and I started to talk about it. And she said to me, Claude, I, I feel something. I can sense something. And, and I said, what is it, Roberta? And then she said, she said, Spackle, do you still carry around? Now, forest elves, of this entire lore, we obviously don't have time or the proper to, proper conditions to get into a forest elves that do the job Spackle does, carry with them a, what could be called a magical map. And one day we may have something like it, similar to a tablet, similar to a map, similar to e-ink. It's a map you unroll that works basically like a combination of a paper tablet without electronics. So I think, I don't know, I'm not a hobbyist in electronics. But Spackle, and I guess it should be noted at this point in the story, Spackle does not speak the English language or any uh, alphabet or clear way he, he communicates in noises. And I did not know Sco Scooter did not make this clear to me, but I think it's also what developed our closeness. And Robert says, Spackle, do you have your map? And he said something like, rain, 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 or something like that, a noise like that, a confirmation noise. For up until now, Roberta didn't seem to need a nap. She drove with the fury of an investigator. And I almost felt like we were both on the case together. This new story was Secret Santa Rita. Was, she was investigating a story where it looked like the outcome of her downfall was a good thing for everyone. But a part of her seemed willing to accept it until now. She said, she said, Spackle, take out your map. And we had pulled off the road. We were having sandwiches. Uh, it is so much more economical to buy a loaf of bread and some peanut butter and jelly than to stop at every roadside place. I think Spackle somehow communicated that to me. But she took out the map and she started to, to do some things to it. And I, I wondered if it was Santa magic. But I did not get question or get involved. But she said, she, she said, my suspicion is right, Claude. And she said, Spackle, look at this. And I think Spackle said, knock, knock. Or, and, and, and she said, yeah, yeah, the uh, joy levels. She said, look at all these pockets. These are the places we've been. It was a bit like a heat map. She said, the, the joy, look at the joy here. And I said, well, which, which is the joy? The green, is the green envy or joy? Is it Christmas joy green or red? Or, And she said, never mind. 
She said the, the joy levels are very low for all this activity. It doesn't make any sense. And it said it does to me, Roberta. I can feel something in my gut. There's an under uh, undertone wherever we've been. And I said, can you see it on that map, Roberta? Because I, 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 can, I can almost taste it. And she said, Claudia, it's not coming up. I, 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 I don't know what it is either, but she goes, I know it's there. And I said, so you can sense it, Roberta. And she says, these levels. And she kept working. And she said, Speckle, do you have a, do you, give someone give me, give me a, give me a pen and a pen or a pencil. And she started to write on the, on the paper. And at first, Speckle seemed a little shocked because it seemed like she was using a old school pen and paper. And I said, Roberta, what are you doing? And she said, I'm making a naughty list. Roberta said that the naughty list had gone out of vogue uh, not that long after World War II. His effectiveness, uh, Santa never really believed, the modern-day Santa uh, never believed in the naughty list. Now, maybe he could have used it because not many years after it, he would go underground for almost a half a century, or over a half a century, I guess, depending on what timeline you're viewing. But Roberta said, I'm making a naughty list. And I said, a real naughty list, Roberta. And she said, yes. And she said, she said I'm looking for tattletales and gossipers. And she started to list names, names I'll never reveal, ever reveal. The name started to appear. And as she held her hand over the name, you know, she started to be able to tell where the child were, what they were, you know, how were they a gossip or were they a t- And I said, does tattletale get you on the naughty list? And she said, Claude, she said, yes, it will, depending on what you're tattletaling about. But that you're calling someone a tattletale will also get you on there. But telling on them or judging them what. She said, this is why we got rid of the naughty list. But I'm, you know, I know what I'm doing, Claude. And she said, get behind the wheel, let's go. And she guided me. She, I was trying to watch out of the corner of my eye and watch the road at the same time. It was not anything like mapping technology in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, we're dealing with possible demigod here. But it was still, she was looking and it was changing colors and giving some sort of directions. And the young man's name was coming up and finally we arrived at his house. And Roberta went into the house. She, she said, wait here. And she knocked on the door. And the boy answered the door. A boy did and Roberta went in the house. And a part of me was, uh, I, I just, I said, was, is she into spackle? Is she interrogating what is going on? And I guess you you would know at this point, Spackle, the elf, the forest elf, he's friends with Scooter. And, and Spackle's history is uh, tied in with your friend Scooter's history with Roberta Claus and Santa Claus before that. Uh, for right around the time of Santa's passing, now there are no no proof or not even suspicion that Scooter and Spackle were involved in that. But Scooter and Spackle had tried to start a little business where they were pitching ideas to Santa. 
and then to Roberta Claus, and she had a lot going on, clearly. But these are two very, this is an enthusiastic forest elf, and then, you know, an odd podcaster. And they kept pitching and pitching Roberta Claus, and at some point it became almost a parody or accommodated Roberta Claus, but also an irritant. She said, gee, Spackle, Scooter, I've had enough of your Christmas ideas. She said, Candy Cane Rain is a terrible idea, and that's the last one I'll be hearing from you two. And they were, I guess they never asked, would that get you on irritating Santa Claus? You should put you on the naughty list. But then Roberta Claus exited the house. She she walked slowly up to the U-Hall. We were still in with her sleigh in the back. And I wondered how she, she did she interrogate this boy? Did she coax it out of him? What, what I said, did he, ta- did he tattle on himself, Roberta? Did he tell? And she said he told me what I needed to know. And we were in a big city at this point. And she said, we need to find a place to stay for the night. And I said, why, Roberta? And Roberta told me that the secret Santa was in people's dreams. This boy was very resistant. Even though he would tattle on his friends, he did not want to tattle on secret Santa. She said he was worried. And she said that adults and children had been being visited by the secret Santa in a very subtle way. And she said she needed to spend a night to look into the children's dreams and try to... And then I, that blew my mind for all I knew about Santa. I think it's some times I had heard... You know, I'd heard about sugar plums dancing in your head and those things. And I said, well, maybe Santa won't get you what you really want for Christmas. Or you didn't get this because Santa knew what you really wanted deep down. Well, I, that's when I... You know, I just wanted you to hug me, Mother. That's what I, well, here's your hug. There you go. No toys, though. Excuse me, folks. I, I, that's unprofessional of me. But Roberta has said that she did have the ability to watch people's dreams. And it's just another thing that unnerves me with the governments of the world. Also putting the resources behind tracking down Roberta Claus. I mean, but maybe one day we would have, I don't know if we would want a President Claus in any, you know, either Roberta Claus, Santa Claus, or just a president named Claus. But we spent a night, uh, we spent a night, and Spackle and I slept as Roberta Claus had her own room, and she said she needed some privacy. But as the next morning came, and, and Spackle and I were getting dressed, Roberta knocked on our door. And she didn't look tired, but she looked thoughtful. And I just wondered to myself, you know, was Santa on some sort of, when would the guy sleep? When would she sleep? But she said, she said, we, we, need, we need to, we need to go. And I said, what'd she say? I said, well, we're not returning. I'm going to lose the deposit on the U-Haul, aren't I, Roberta Claus? And she said, no, no, just call them and tell them it's here. Or, you know, they'll pick it up. And I said, and I was like, are we going to rent a car, Roberta Claus? And she said, no, we're taking the sleigh. And so we pulled the uh, U-Haul around the back of the motel we were staying at. 
and we hid it. And we waited till the next evening came. Roberta slept most of the day, which kind of answered my question. But, you know, under this, these circumstances, anyone would need some sleep. And as the night grew deep and dark, Roberta Claus said, you know, we're going to get in the sleigh. And then I said, well, geez, don't you? And she says, don't make me explain the sleigh, how it works to you. She goes, it's clear to me after the dreams and speaking with this young man, something's coming. And we need to be ready for it, and we need to be mobile for it. And we got to slay up in the air. And, and as serious as the task at hand was, I did not have a chance uh, at this point in the story to enjoy being in Santa's sleigh. Or even start to answer the details. And I think there was a... A masking effect. I, I don't I don't know if I could explain what was going on to control the sleigh or the propulsion of the sleigh or all those things. But also Roberta had a spackle and I working very hard because we begun circling the, the, the most populated areas of the earth. And watching the naughty list and Roberta, she was going through some sort of listing and she was doing her own thing with just a simple pen and paper while Spackle and I worked on his magical map. But then at some point there was a surge and it was on Spackle and I's map and it was clearly, it was like it was being projected on the back of Roberta's eyeballs and the sleigh made a great turn in the sky. And it would seem like it was going so smooth and slow at this turn, but I knew we were rocketing at speeds humans had never experienced before, except for the kid, you know, kids that may have gotten chances to ride in Santa's sleigh, supposedly. But those would be kids on the naughty list, liars. But as we picked up speed, I said, Roberta, what is it? She said, it's the lads. And she showed me a place on the map, and she said, she goes, it's the 13-year-old lads. And I said, I, I, I was not familiar with what she was talking about. I had heard of the Yule log. But she said, it's a, she goes, you can see them, they're debouching their way through these towns. And she goes, it was just a blip just hours ago. She And Roberta said, I thought it was one of those Santa cons, a Sanarchy event. She goes, it's in tough, tough to interpret all this data, these data points to a human. You know, no offense. But she, as we made the way, she explained quickly to me that the 13-year-old lads were a bit like a mad Bacchanalian version of the seven dwarves, little trolls. I, I don't think she used the word trolls. It might be my word. And that they would just tear their way through cities and countrysides, drinking and vandalizing, making merry. But Roberta said she, she, she could see that they had whipped in a fever and that they already had followers. And as we started to circle... They were in a part of Europe where towns were close to each other and people were already used to touring from town to town. 
and there was a giant wreckage in their path of emptied bars, and, and these lads had a thing for yogurt, some strange yogurt obsession. So towns were stripped of their yogurt and Christmas and holiday decorations that had made it up. They had vandalized uh, churches and schools, town squares, and they were followed by more and more merrymakers. And Roberta started circling, and she said, she said, I don't know what to do. And she made a couple of dives on the sleigh, but the, the 13 lads and I saw them, and they, they were, you know, mad with lust and... and and drunken revelry, and she circled them again and again, and and people started throwing yogurt packs at the sleigh, but then she just went, you know, increased altitude. And she seemed nervous. She seemed to be considering her options, and I wanted to grab her and say, Roberta, you need to act. But then she said, look down there, one of the lads is trailing behind and she circled, and one of the lads had started to tra- travel, and he was limping. And she landed in front of his path, and he was limping. He sustained a cut while smashing Christmas ornaments. And Roberta sat with him so, so gently and stitched him right up. She had a very nice medical kit on the sleigh, which would make sense. But I couldn't believe her first aid skills, but again, it would make sense that Santa Claus or Roberta Claus be prepared for all things. And I got to tell you, Spackle the Elf is an excellent uh, nurse. But she stitched up this elf, and she said, you hurt yourself there, smashing. And the elf, it seemed, or I guess it was a lad, a troll-like elf dwarf. It seemed to be calmed by Roberta's presence and being away from the the madness of his friends. And she said, I need you to go back and and pick up 4,000 yogurt cups and bring them to a recycle facility. And then, you know, clean up the rest of these uh, ornaments you broke. And she said, she said, which one are you? Because, you you know, she'd explained to me earlier, the old lads were supposed to come one at a time. They'd never come as a group before. They were scheduled to come one at a time, starting, I think, 13 days before Christmas. And he said, I'm number one. She said, oh, good, so you'll be gone at Christmas. And then she f- flew, and, and then she said, I don't know what to do. We're, we're not going to get so lucky that these other elves are going to injure themselves, these lads. And she said, what about that podcast, Spackle, your friend? And he, I said, oh, yeah, the boring podcast guy. And she said, I have speakers on the on the sleigh. So we started playing the boring podcast the Mad Scooter makes. My, I like Scooter. We're not friends. You know, I'm a, cor- I'm a professional correspondent being corresponded with. But we started to play. And slowly, some of the human revelers, they had spent too much time drinking anyway. They started to fall off and started renting rooms or sleeping in anywhere they could find space. And then about six of the lads started to slowly fall off one at a time. And as each one would fall asleep, Roberta would bring the sleigh down, and she had a whole uh, 
what do you call it, a, a scooping system, one of those nets, and she would pick them up and bring them in different directions and separate them. And she said, as long as they're separated, they'll be pretty docile. It's this mob mentality as they wait for each one. And she said, these people, these these mountain towns won't stand for their nonsense. She said, they'll just bring them down and, and they'll have a nice little holiday in each little town I'm leaving them in. But then we returned to scene, and there were still a number of these Yule lads making merry. And I said, Roberta, don't you have any, I know sleighs shouldn't be weaponized, but don't you have any North Pole technology you can use on them? You know, don't, can't, can't you use any of Santa's magic? And she said, she said, Claude, don't you see this is just a probing test? She goes, these are just merrymakers. She goes, they're just here to see what we're capable of and what we're willing to do. And she said, plus I really don't have any North Pole technology. She goes, it's it's a North Pole. And I said, so this is like a distraction, these Yule lads. And she said, yeah, look at it. And she said, oh God, spackle. She goes, what are your naughty level readings? And Spackle made some noises and it basically, she, she grabbed the map out. She said, oh no. She said, that's exactly what this is, a distraction. She said, they've clogged our naughty meter. It's, she goes, the levels are so high, we can't see outside this region. And she kept trying to reset and re, even with her Santa magic. She 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 couldn't bring the naughty levels down, and she circled again and again, and then she said, "Spackle." She goes, "What about that candy cane rain?" She goes, "And, and now one thing I knew about Spackle was he always carried this giant satchel around with him. It was like a backpack that could be a duffel bag, but it was humongous." It was elven size, and Spackle's a force elf, so bigger than a, not as big as a Lord of the Rings elf, huskier than that, though. Not not that tall, maybe four feet tall, Spackle was. And I also think he had storage in his elven, elven cap, which was more North, North Pole elf uh, than, than not. And he said, which window was something, some sort of, Sound that I'm too dignified to make. But he dug through his bag, and then him and Roberta were communicating, and I said, I think Roberta speaks this forest elf language. But she was pointing to the engines and pointing, and she said, yes, yes. And then we started, and Spackle was underneath, hanging from the bottom of the sleigh, clanging and clinging. And then we landed, and I said, oh, wow, we landed at a warehouse that had stocks of candy canes. And I said, I wonder if they're saving these for next year. But And then I was also surprised that the candy cane rain was made from real candy canes, I expect, but we loaded on candy canes, and that took a bit of time unwrapping them. 
But then Roberta goes, I said, just throw it all in, and, and, and we 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 fit, we fixed a cardboard hopper on the side of the sleigh, and I my job was just to hold it on, even though it had straps and things. Kind of like the foolhardy man who buys a mattress and poorly ties it on his roof, yet he still holds on. But I was doing it the best behest of Roberta Claus. And then we started to circle the mob, and the machine that speculated the add-ons he had done started to shake and rumble Santa's sleigh. And then the peppermint misty smell filled the air, and I even noticed my skin getting a sheen of uh, red and white grease that I did put to my lips, and it was uh, candy cane-like. Everyone's about to even get a droplet of that other flavor of candy cane, the red and the yellow striped one. But as the candy cane rain rained down, the mob slowed, their progress impeded by an overload of sugar, you know, because for a while they just put their mouths to heaven and drank it, and that caused many of the humans to sugar crash. And even one or two of the old lads, but some still strove on bar to bar, place to place, but then finally they further slowed down. And at some point their progress became impossible as the candy started to coagulate. And Roberta dropped the nets, and we started to send the. We started to separate these Yule lads across Europe. We may feel bad for the Europeans, whose towns we dropped these Yule. We dropped a few of the candy cane ones in small lakes. I think Zurich. And I said, "She says that environment." And Roberta Claus said, "Claude, don't report that. I can fix it." And I said, well, fish may like candy canes anyway. But at the whole time, Roberta Cross was, was shouting orders at a, a Spackle. She was saying, Spackle, I need you to... And I couldn't quite make it out, but as we dropped off the last Yule lad, she said, she said, have you gotten a hold of the North Pole, Spackle? I need you to get a hold of the North Pole. And Spackle said, please, no, you can't get a hold of him. And she said, did you get a hold of Scooter? Did he? She goes, you guys got a hold of the North Pole all the time in the past. What do you mean you can't get through? Neither one of you gets through. You would call me 14 times. And Scooter, with his text, he thought was witty. And Spackle, and, and I don't know if it was some sort of, but it was finally, Robert said, what do you mean? There, there's no communications out of the North Pole. And Spackle made a noise that sounded like a guffump cry. Or say, I don't know, I'm not a poet. I'm a reporter, damn it. But Spackle made it, and she said, there's nothing at the North Pole. No power at all. Nothing. And I think she had given Spackle the quote. Well, Spackle and Scooter Priority knew how to get past the secret firewalls. But it became quickly apparent that we needed to get to the North Pole. And Roberta said, hold on, boys. We're going north, and we don't have very much time for the Bell Snickles are coming. And she said, who knows what else lies in their wake. We have to save Christmas. 
And we made our way to the North Pole. Now, while we made our way to the North Pole, I did take my time checking media outlets. And all this mayhem was being blamed by Roberta Claus. And a worldwide hunt had gone, and I didn't realize Roberta Claus's brilliance with the U-Haul. For they had created no-fly zones over the towns we had driven through. But we had slipped through that no-fly zone, and then they had recently headed off to where the Yulets were, and they were trying to make sense of what happened there. But right now, I'm with Roberta Cross, I'm with Spackle, running away the North Pole. And I'm still on this story. This is Claude Neon reporting. Good night. Alright, I want to say goodnight and thank you. Goodnight to Pony Up in 1980. Uh, dreams for insomniacs. Uh, they've tried just about everything. Breathing, medication, meditation, but... Uh, they had severe insomnia. But then they started listening to this podcast and it's helped out a lot. And Scooter has a balance of being interesting, but impossible to follow. So thank you, Pony Up 1980. Uh, Pam Craven loves the podcast. Thank you, Pam. Good night. Uh, China Dork 7733 says, uh, is a new best friend. Oh, wow. Thank you. Uh, Jesse J. I don't know if that's the Jesse J. That's the singer because you were in. I think you were in last year's uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade. Uh, but a little weird, a little silly, and a lot of help falling asleep for Jesse J. Thank you, Jesse. Uh, J H Root. Did I already thank you, J H Root? Well, I'm getting thanking you again. Solution for a lifelong insomniac. Thank you, J H Root. You're grateful. I'm grateful. Uh, Ty Weave or T.I. Weave 01. Oh, yeah, I made a thank you, but I'm thanking you again as well. Thank you, Ty Weave. Wow. I want to thank Maddie1976 from the UK and Great Britain. Or the UK or Great Britain since it was said pretty much how they used to put their son to sleep. They didn't think it would work for them, but A triple plus. Thank you, Maddie. Uh, the Anonymous from, uh, I wonder if that's a mist. We don't know the name of it. What kind of mist is that? Anonymous. Uh, are you sure that's not a Great Britain mist or a Northern or UK, United Kingdom mist? No, it's Anonymous. Well, thank you for your, it's a sweet spot, sweet spot. Super relaxing ramble. Thank you. And then A.J. Teal from Australia worked for them. Scooter manages to distract you, put you to sleep. Thank you, A.J. Teal. Uh, L. Ropes 1 also says a podcast. Wow, it was amazing. Thank you, L. Ropes. Over on Twitter, I want to thank Benji Box and say goodnight. Lisa Case, goodnight. Sammy, goodnight. Uh, Kelly H., good night. V, it's Brony.
Bryony. I think it's Miss Bryony. Good night. Thank you. Eli, good night. Brandon A, good night. Uh, Blue T-shirt, good night. Thank you. Emily, good night. Uh, Pan Magazine, good night. And Rebecca LW, good night. Whiting, good night. Kelly, uh, Lida Lie, good night. Uh, Kini, or Kini, K-I-N-I-A, good night. Lisa, good night. Mike, good night. I hope you're resting, Mike, my friend. Uh, Steph B.D., or Steph D., good night. Stephen S., double, double S., Stephen, good night. Anna, good night. Allie B., good night. Ben M., good night. Mary, good night. Of course, good night to Babs, Amanda, good night. Uh, Jen, Misha, good night. Uh, Lauren C., good night. Melissa, good night. Uh, ben S. in the Cap Hello Collection, good night. Stephen R., good night. Kate N., good night. Honor W., good night. Laura H., good night. Jesse H., good night. And you guys sleep so good. Dan H., good night. Claire G., good night. Uh, Jeannie T., good night. Lindsay S., good night. John S., good night. Kelly G., good night. Uh, Chelsea M., good night. Aaron D., good night. Uh, Kath S., good night. And Rudolph, who's saving Kath's life. Uh, Ahab's wife, good night. Michaela, good night. Damon D., good night. BM, good night. Catherine, good night. Uh, Bob C., good night. Emily, good night. And uh, that was great, that Breaking Bad. Uh, Teresa, good night. Alexandra, good night. Bex, good night. Lauren, good night. Uh, Rachel, good night. Thank you for the comments on the website. Mark, good night. And thank you, Mark in Ireland. And Rachel's an Avengers TV show fan. Good night, Kimberly. Thank you for buying something on Amazon. And our buddy Marcus, I hope you're doing good, buddy. Good night, Michael. Good night. Thank you for using the Amazon link, sleepwithmepodcast.com slash Amazon. And I think that's it for now. Good night, everybody. Sleep tight. Hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble falling asleep? Well, welcome. Uh, This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that's here to put you to sleep. We do it with a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights and press play. I'm going to do the rest. And what I'm going to do is create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's running through your brain. Whatever's got you tossing and turning, whether it's uh, your body, your emotions, or your thoughts. Or your snoring partner. Or, you know, no, no, you know nosy neighbors, noisy neighbors. Or newsy neighbors, you know, that are uh, watching the news, you know, too loud. I'm going to try to take your mind off all those things. Tonight I'm going to be talking about metastasis and breaking bad. But it'll take me a while to get there. And when I get there, it'll be a little bit more 
uh, lulling and soothing than a show. You know, it'll take more uh, turns and it'll be way slower uh, and, you know, less exciting than the TV shows. But I, I usually talk about the TV Colombian version first, Metastasis. Then I talk about the cor- corresponding episode of Breaking Bad. Then I go back to Metastasis and I try to, you know, see what Spanish language lear- words I can learn. And you'll notice my, you know, my English, which I was raised speaking, is not quite up to snuff either. But that's, you know, it's part of a process of, uh, and it's funny, my addiction, uh, addiction problems, you know, seem to fit like the perfect puzzle piece to lulling, soothing you to sleep. So, you know, we say, Jesus, you were born to do this, Scoots. Uh, as Bruce Springsteen has not said, you know, baby, I was born to bore, you know, B-O. R-E, not B-O-A-R, because that would be weird and under most circumstances, unless you were a boar chef. And even then you say, well, that's a little bit, you know, that's a little bit braggy, don't you think? You were born to boar. Or if you were a boar that gained the uh, ability to speak, saying, baby, I was born a boar, you know, born to boar. If you say it without enunciation, as a boar might, if they suddenly learned how to talk, they say, baby, I was born to boar. And you say, excuse me, were you born to boar? And you say, no, 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 I was born a boar, believe it or not. And then I was, uh, this guy with this weird podcast, he used to have this obsession with uh, large colliders like the Hallidron, you know, the ones he can't pronounce. And when I was, I was just a baby, baby boar. And he said, hey, I got a sled. And there's a great snow hill right by one of these colliders in Switzerland. And I dug a hole. And he goes, they're trying to test in some neutrinos. And he said, you know, that was, he goes, oh, don't you think that sounds like a good drink? Like, give me a side of neutrinos or, you know, or a new health beverage. Yeah, yeah, I'll have a glass of neutrinos or a drink at a cup, you know, give me a, a frappuccino with a double, a double, a double shot of neutrinos. And since I was a boar, I really just stared at the man because he, he did, he did offer me a, a biscuit. So I didn't know what he was talking about. I just heard it. And then he picked me up and we got in a sled and I turned out boars, you know, as a baby boar, I really enjoyed sledding. But the next thing you know, I found myself, he, he, he his uh, tunnel uh, went to, you know, we went down the sled hill through a tunnel. Unfortunately, he got a couple scientists on his sled by accident, went through the collider. And I was, you know, I did the old body swap with one of the scientists who's now a boar, but he ran away. So we don't know. We couldn't find him. And so, yeah, baby, I was born a boar. It's a fact, not born to boar. And then the, 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 when they banned this guy, they banned me from Sweden, too. I don't know why. I was just learning a language. So I was staying close to the scooter guy. And they threw us out of the country. And then they, they, he, you know, he, he, they said they were doing it so politely. And so then uh, scooter said, well, Jesus, can't I do something nice for you guys before you throw me out? And they said, like, what? And he said, well, let me tell you a little bedtime story. Uh, and that, that's how I learned to speak, believe it or not. So I'm taking over the podcast from Scooter. Sound exactly like him. But baby, I was born a boar. And uh, by the way, sorry about that tangent there. I, I don't know what happened. I, I had stepped out. 
and my new best friend, what were we calling you? Anyway, my, my, my best friend here was behind the mic, so I'm, I'm back. This is Scooter. And sometimes the podcast does it. It just goes off track. But the idea behind the podcast is that you can't think of two things at once. And I try to be, you know, I go on these little tangents or something happens and my, you know, they, 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 I just get distracted and I go, go on a little meander or, you know, I just I hand the podcast off to uh, someone that sounds exactly like me, but used to be a bore. And who did, how lucky am I to have a best friend? And, you know, if we ever did a musical about it, we could say, baby, we were born to bore. And it would be true as long as, you know, the enunciation was right. And I don't know anything about musical or notes, but I think it's uh, syllables that can be good. Baby, we were born to bore. So my friend would be saying, baby, I was born to bore. Born, you know, just making that extra born, like, you know, extra, you know, thing at the end of the born. Born, I guess he'd be saying. And I'd be saying, baby, I was born to bore. And then luckily this, you know, we lost that scientist that was turned into a baby boar. Uh, but, you know, then we did some studies. We said, oh, no, 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 the brainstem of the boar was still boar brainstem. So it just went back to its mother. So that scientist is being raised as a boar. And that's a wonderful thing. And, and you know, Switzerland has some of the best boar treatment in the world. Uh, so that's a good thing. Don't worry about that. But it, so this is how the podcast works. You can't think of two things at once. So sometimes I'll be mildly amusing, somewhat entertaining. You know, you'll get thoughts of baby boar, non-bristled. You know, the, in Switzerland, the, the, they have the bristle-free boar types over there. So they're nice uh, nice boars. And I try to keep my boars as unbristly as I can. You know, my my uh, my moderately, you know, my, my creaky, creaky dulcets are, they, they have a tiny bit bristle bit, but, you know, that's just a fuss up your eardrums a little. So that's the podcast, you know, which is the thing, the thing is I want to send my voice and my intentions across the deep dark night and take your mind off of stuff. It's going to be a little silly, a little goofy. Uh, you might say that that behavior you just described was abnormal. I would say, well... I would say abnormal. It's just uh, over-enthusiastic about uh, colliders and neutrinos. Yes. Uh, curious about uh, what, what curious poses I could strike with a, a baby boar. And a scientist accidentally caught in my sled as we collide with a collider. I mean, I said, geez, I've dreamed about colliding with a collider. Uh, the problem is they really, as I found through my digging, they really reinforce the collision side of the collider walls. So, cause, so I've had an inability, not an unability, you know, to work up this speed and, and to do a surprise crash into a collider on the collision side. I can go with the collision as we did with the sled. I mean, I got off the sled. It was just a bore in the scientist, uh, you know, this experiment. I'm the uh, conductor. Uh, but one day I'll collide with colliders. I mean, I've collided with collider scientists many in, you know, con- collider countries. And, you know, mostly that hasn't gone so great for me. And uh, he said, he said Newton, Newton, the last thing they said to me was Newton would not like you. And I said, Huey P. Newton? And then they said, get out, you know, don't come back. 
And I said, Edgar Newton, Fig Newton. And they said, can you say, can you, can you actually come up with some Newton jokes before you start cracking them? And I said, well, I'm not, I don't, that's not my style of humor. Mine is, uh, you, 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 my humor is a wondering humor. You, you wonder, is he, is he being humorous or just being himself? It's a uh, stealth, you know, you know, I like to make jokes about Edwards. You know, actually it's not even a joke. I say, you know, me and Ed, Eddie Snowden, that's a joke right there. So that's it for the podcast description. You know, I'm born, I was born to bore, but I was also born to tell a tale about a bore, uh, a person that became, you know, bore, bore, that was born a bore. Uh, and that's the kind of, you say, geez, well, that's kind of like a bedtime. It's like a Lola, a nursery, r- roomy nur- nursery room, but in story form. And you say, yeah, it's not a nursery rhyme for sure. Uh, though occasionally Scooter does like to rhyme, but it's more like a nursery room. Like, uh, it surrounds you with, uh, tones, meanders, wings of pointlessness, uh, goofing around. And he's like more like a nursery roommate. And I'd say, there you go. You nailed it there. Good job, Borling. Uh, yeah, I'm like a nursery roommate. And he say, Jesus, what is that? He say, you'll, you'll figure it out. If you listen to this podcast a few times, you'll figure it out. I'm your new nursery roommate. Like nursery, nursery rhyme light, you know, like, you know, say, you, you got it. You understand. And if there's the first few times here and you don't understand, if your brain has not started, like if you're, like, let's take a breath. Or two breaths, actually, there. And let's see, you know, if, if you're not, you know, if you're mildly irritated, you know, listen a few more times and see if, you you know, you, I can win you over. If you're more than mildly irritated, I'm sorry. I, I was trying to put you to sleep, but, you know. But I'm glad you're here, and that's what I want to do is help you fall asleep. And uh, thanks for stopping by. All right, so we're doing uh, metastasis run through number one. It opens with the bus at a gas station. It's a squeaky, squeaky bus. You know, it's the bus, the Escolar, the school bus. I noticed it was a full-serve gas station. I don't know if all gas stations in Columbia are first-serve, but full-serve. But it makes sense. I mean, I'd have, if I was driving a bus, I'm surprised Jose, Miguel, or Jesse could park one of those things. Actually, at one point, uh, I was asked if I would want to drive the bookmobile because uh, I was trying to get a full-time job. I had a part-time job. And they said, well, geez, if you, why wouldn't we, we could make you full-time if you drive the bookmobile. And I just laughed in the person's face, literally. And he said, I'm not emotionally equipped to drive a bookmobile. And not even close. I would have, you know, there's no amount of training. You know, once again, they'd have to send me to Sweden in some sort of barometric chamber, you know, just for the emotional, train me for the emotional rigors for the bookmobile training and the bookmobile testing. And then my first run on the bookmobile, I might physically go out and physically come back. You know, but there would be a part of me at the first left-hand turn, the first right-hand turn, the first scrape against something, which would be inevitable, the first encounter where my, you know, internal, uh, you know, in, internal anger was set off, 
And then pair, you know, I, I can't, I'm not, as I said, it just it should have just stuck with the beginning. I'm not equipped emotionally to drive a bookmobile. But our friend Jose Miguel is, and then he, so it's a service station. Then he, after he gets the gas, he pays for it. It seemed like he goes in to get the store. And it says store and food. it's got like a food counter. Jose's all smiles uh, to the young woman working there. But he's got no money and he busts out the charm. And uh, he almost gives up tattoo. I don't know what that means. Oh, no, he almost gives up, but he just keeps going. Then there's some, they talk music about Maximo, I think is the band. And he's like, hey, what about this uh, methamphetamine I have? You know, what about trading that for a little gas and food or whatever? And he's still charming, 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 selling the meth. Cop comes in, you know, for gas and coffee or whatever, but Jose's not deterred. And he, he says, hey, you know, and she says, okay, let's do it. And she seemed to have, uh, she seemed to be enamored with Jose's charm. Yeah, let's be honest, his, his good looks and his boyish charm, I would say. Aaron Paul, his middle name, Aaron Boyish Charm Paul, I think. At one point, you know, now it might be, you know, maybe he's more manly, manly charm. Aaron Charm Paul, I think probably now. But as, as he played Jesse, you know, he's a human. You know, Jesse's a, Jesse Pinkman's a character. But I'm saying when Aaron Paul, I guess I'm over-explaining myself, but when Aaron Paul was playing Jesse Pinkman, Pinkman, his middle name was, and they say, okay, Scoots, just kid, just move. Okay, I'll move on because that's the opening. And we're at Saul's 5050s, the episode title. We have a, a guy in a neck brace there, and Saul's all hands-on, ch- ch- testing the neck brace, taking it off. I noticed his office, I mean, I noticed it before, but I didn't think to write it down, is Blue Skies and Clouds versus Saul uh, Goodman has the Constitution. Then Mike rolls in, and they're like, hey, is this a problem? And, and Mike busts out a tape, and it's Walton Cielo. They seem to be arguing, and they can't believe the stuff Cielo's saying. Ernesto, Ernesto. And then Walt says something, and it was Malo, Malo. And they say, and then we see a taxi with Walt arriving at work. Oh, at Cielo's work, at Silva Construction. And Walt checks in. She's like, the receptionist's like, you're going to have to wait a while for Ernesto. But then Ernesto, he really doesn't have, whatever office he was using didn't have, he doesn't have a lot of uh, boundaries. He, he tries to hide in the office right in Walt's view. Which I mean, if geez, if I want to work in you know workplace, I want to be able to uh, you know have some privacy. But you know, if I was ever the boss, I'd say no one can ever see me. And that, that but that already happened. I'm the boss of nothing. So they say, geez, well you're like kind of the boss of the podcast now. Yeah, but I don't have an office. So they say, okay, well, okay, let's move on too. But Ernesto tries to run and hide. Walt yells, you know, open the door. La Puerta, I think maybe. He yell he starts yelling, Cielo shows up, Walt tries to throw a plant through the door, but that doesn't work. And Walt gets tossed outside. Mike shows up, he says, Hey Walt, why don't you come with me for a little ride back to Saul's? And then Saul's like, Well, what are you doing, man? And then Walt Mike reads a magazine, he's just sitting there. 
And he, but Mike's making noises while Walt goes off in the background. A little running, you know, nonverbal, verbal, what do you call that, auditory, something. He's making noises, I guess that was it. And Saul yells, and then Mike, Walt stares at Mike, and he's like, how'd you know? And then Walt yells something to Mike. Saul, you know, and then Saul, and then Walt goes after Saul. He's like, ah, bah. he's like really losing his cool. And then Mike says, well, you you need to, you're out of this office. And Walt's just uh, uncontrollable. I don't know. Un, he's not uncontrollable because Mike controls him. He's not unconsolable. But somewhere in between there, you know, a word I don't know. I just looked up with some words in it for, for debate and thesaurus. But not for this podcast, just for a tweet I was sending to somebody that I thought, I said, I want to impress them. But that was after. I said, I wish I would have had a thesaurus to And they say, well, geez, you got Google. Oh, yeah, I didn't think about Google. And then next thing you know, Mike's at Walt. He's taking out all his equipment, his listening equipment. Mike's talking to Walt. Mike's talking to Walt about an offer. Walt's asking Mike questions. I think Mike says, I'm just doing my job, man. And then Mike, before he leaves, he looks around his car at Walt's neighborhood, and he, he seems like he warns Walt, and then there's a mark in Walt's pavement. The next image we see is a dripping faucet in a classroom, and Walt's just staring. Kids are talking, and Walt's just totally out of it. He's, he's, in, a, he's, in, a, he's in a haze, and Carmen rolls in. And she sees Walt's totally, you know, like just in some sort of dreamlike state almost. Uh, after that, we see Henry's packing a bag. He's got a really nice black shirt on, really sharp, with like a, not not white snowflakes, but that was the best way I could describe it. Some white image that's not snowflakes. And Maria seems worried, then Hefe calls his boss. They found blue mess somewhere nearby. So Henry rolls out. Then we have Walt and Carmen. They're meeting. Carmen's talking to Walt about what's going on. But Walt becomes obsessed with his dog picture. Martine is a Carmen's dog's name. And then Walt just walks behind uh, Carmen's desk, but she's still trying to manage. You know, she she has some respect for Walt for a few more minutes. And he says, hey, geez, I got to get a look at this dog, this Martine. Martine. And she says, hey, why don't you sit down? We're trying to talk here, you know. And then he sits on her desk, and he gets all flirty, pushes the hair out of her eyes. Already crosses the line, so he gets fired. And it just so happens that Jose, Jose Miguel's out front, right in the, I said, that's in the nick of time. He says, Ketal, Well, puts the stuff on the roof, he gets in the car. And Jose's asking about the big money deal, and Walt says, no way, man. And Jose says, why? And Walt says some stuff, so, so Jose says, hey, let me show you this blue mess I made. And that creates a whole argument. Walt's all bent out of shape. And he says that Walt, Jose's products, you know, no good. So Walt gets out of the car. And then Jose's mad, Walt's mad. So Jose's like, I'm just driving off. And the box of Walt's, uh, a stereotypical box of Walt's stuff falls off. Then we return to Silva Construction. Silva, 
Is it Silva or Silva? Uh, I don't know, but it's good. I wish I had an expert here. We just are two, you know, uh, not Mierdas. Are we Mier- Bobotas? We're a couple of Bobotas. Me, me and Scoots, or Scoot, me and Drew, me and Andy. But in the office, yells kind of the object of the gas of milk, cold shoulder. But after that, she goes, her and Ernesto, uh, you know, it looks like a late afternoon delight, early evening delight they had. And they're in bed, getting dressed, or Cielo is, and they both seem pleased, like very delighted. And they kind of flirt, they talk about the future a little bit, it seemed like. And up next is Henry and Gomez, and they're with this kind of tweaked out guy. They arrested, totally out of it, this guy is. And Henry and Gomez, you know, try to get something out of him. And then they don't, or they do, and then Henry and Gomez are, Henry seems very, on this Heisenberg white whale kick, and uh, Gomez like, I think this is your white whale. And he says, I need Dastigo, not Ishmael. And then Gomez says, that doesn't, that's not a very good, I mean, he says, Dastigo's my favorite too, but, uh, you know, it doesn't fit, doesn't fit, I'm, I'm neither. And Gomez says, if anything, I'm in the man warning Ishmael before he boarded the boat. But he goes, that's, that's the wrong time in this story. Uh, then we have the baby's room. And Walt's on the, in bed on the baby's room floor. He's looking glum. What is it? I'm surprised I came up with that word, glum. That's a perfect word for that. I mean, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying. And then Saul's on the phone. He, he, a lot of times you see Saul Bueno. He's, he, he likes to use a magnifying glass, which could become a whole, you know, it wouldn't be good fan fiction. It might not even be boring. Because I guess more, uh, not fan fiction, speculation, but not speculative fiction. I'd just be like, well, what's he looking at with that? Does he, is he comforted by close-ups of stuff? Is he looking for insects? You know, who who knows, but he uses the magnifying glass a lot. Maybe it just helps him think, you know. Or, and this is not a pun, it helps him focus. You believe that? That's funny, and I didn't even mean it as a pun, I swear. But maybe it does, he's talking, and he says, well, if I use this, if I focus on this uh, texture as wallpaper, I'm listening better. Could, that's another book, uh, if uh, a lawyer, my lawyer's listening to this, he, uh, I don't know. I don't have a title yet, lawyer. But you know, the focus, focus, uh, the focus method—that's no good. The looking at glass, looking glass—is that a looking glass or no? You know, put that in there, up at para David or whatever para, paralegal thing. And then uh, the looking glass method, looking glass focus. I'll figure out a book for it. We'll sell it as an e-book. You know, good, you know. You know, that's what these, you know, the looking glass, focus on the looking glass. Now, I got to find something more guru-y. Oh, let's see, back to looking. So Jose sits like a cat, a canary, he comes into the office. He's so pleased. He drops that giant bag of blue meth on Saul's desk and he says, hola, 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 or something. I don't know how he said it, but that's what I wrote. Three olas. Gus here parks his car in a parking lot, and Mike parks behind him and gets in Gus's car. 
He hands him a report on Walt's cancer. It seemed like medical blood. And then Mike rolls out to another assignment. Uh, Henry can't get a... Oh, can't get call out at gas station. I don't know what that means. He tries to get a... Henry can't get call out at gas station. I'm pretty sure those are the words in the sentence, but there's no, you know, even I don't know what it means. Uh, tries to get the worker there to rat on Jose. He really grills her. He tries to get a description. Then he sees the camera. He says, does it work? And I think she said, but at first he says, well, when was he here, I think? And then she says, well, it doesn't work. And then he sees another camera outside that he thinks would work. Not woodworking, you know, wood, W-O-U-L-D, woodwork. Not woodwork. A woodwork, woodworking camera method. No, it's not a book. And actually, I, don't, I can't even write a book to make dyslexia, but I can make a book titles, you know, and then lock them down. And then, you know, this will be, that'll be the next thing. So we're having a scoot, he did a sleep podcast. He started doing some weird trademark lawsuits, and then, you know, he was already hermit-like, but then he actually became a hermit. They call him the hermit crab. The kids do. They like to throw tin cans at his house. And he says, and he always has a looking, he has a magnifying glass. He calls it a looking glass. And the kids say, a licking glass? He said, no, a looking glass, not a leak, but he, you know, Scooter mumbles, so it, all, it still sounds like a looking glass. And then the kids laugh, and then they say, how's the wood, how's the wood work? It's something, it was a sad, we're so sad for Scooters in the future. But back to Metastasis, Waltz at breakfast, he's staring, Cielo's reading the paper, is. uh, Walt's glaring at her while she reads the paper. It's quiet. Junior's clearly uncomfortable with this tension. Uh, Ciel's reading an article. It looks like about soccer or soccer stadium or football. And Junior asks a bunch of questions to Ma and Pa. So he's still trying to, you know, hold this family unit together. After that, we see Jose, Jose make the deal. Then we see Henry with his boss. Seems like he's trying to crack the Heisenberg case. But the boss ain't sold on it. But Henry's like, I figured out it's a mobile meth lab, a biblioteca mobilia. That's a bookmobile. It came right back up again. It must have been why I thought of it. And he goes, there's not many of these things in Bogota, boss. And he's really putting a hard sell on his boss, and I think he got him. Walt then is watching some daytime TV with his strange Hummel figurine that's in the scene with him. I mean... Shares the frame with him, like wrapped around a lamppost. Almost looks like he's, you know, uh, doing something to the lamppost. I'm like, man, what's going on? But he's, his, his thighs are wrapped around the lamppost. And they say that's what Scooter saw, you know, kids. Remember, that's just what Uncle Scooter saw. That's not really, it's just a nice humble figurine. And they say, well, it's actually a Hamill figurine, you know. For a while, Mark Hamill started making his own figurines. 
but they're, you know, they're a little bit, you know, uh, anti-establishment. And they said, I don't know what he calls that Hamill figurine, but yeah, Walter Blanco collects Hamill figurines. But Walt sees uh, some TV reports, he has a little flashback, and then he says, I got to go outside and get some air. And then the dude that works for uh, Goose rolls up with a bag of money and just throws it to Walt. And that's the end of the end of the episode. So there we are. Metastasis run through one. Thank you. All right, so we're talking about uh, Breaking Bad now. It's uh, season three, episode four, Green Light, which I just, I didn't realize that was the episode title for some reason uh, when I was watching it. And actually, we have a unique way, uh, we have a unique way of doing the notes tonight. So there might be a little extra noise in the background because I, uh, so last weekend, when you're hearing this, it'll be a while past, but last weekend was a weekend we did, on Sunday we did a live stream for uh, to show solidarity and to attempt to empower people, uh, especially people suffering in Paris and Beirut. Uh, but because of the planning of that, uh, my watching schedule was off. So some of this is done on a little notepad because I watched some of it in a cafe uh, late Saturday evening when I was on my way to do something else with someone that was in from out of town visiting my brother. Uh, so, so it'll be a little different for you. It might not be any different, but, um, uh, episode opens at the big chief gas station. There's a Dr. Pepper sign. There's sneakers on a red pole. There's a cool cigarette sign, ATM, a giant native American head, uh, and then Jesse rolls in. He's all pleased, very happy. He gets gas at total seventy nine seventy, and then he says, uh, "Come back later, Sarah." Oh, because he said he goes, uh, he goes, "Oh, I don't have any money." And there's this person says, "Oh, well, uh, you know, we we have an ATM." He goes, "Oh no," and she goes, "Well, you could do a personal check." He goes, "I'm in between banks right now." And he goes, can I come back later? I'm good for it. And that's when the stare comes in. But then Jesse seems to be uh, embracing his bad guy, you know, persona, because he gets real smooth. And she, the worker, she she seems like maybe she has a little crush on Jesse. She's like, you know, if it was my thing, I'd let you do it. But my dad, he, he's really an ex-military. He checks everything for the store always. And she's like, so I got to call him. You know, sorry about that. And then Jesse's like, hey, what if we trade? And she kind of smacks her lips. She definitely sees it. And he's like, I got this, you know, blue stuff. And he really starts to close the deal. He says, you know, this is like, she's like, what's it like? He's like, it's awesome. Maximum interesting. He goes like uh, action figure feelings. And just like, it's tight, man. You got to ch- ch- try it. And the police even come in there, the state police. But uh, Jesse makes the deal. And then we have a picture of Saul's roof with Liberty. She's looking pretty sad, Lady Liberty, on Saul's roof. And he's interviewing his client and his mother. Uh He's got a box of neck braces. He's like, you know, let's lose the fact, you know, Antonio, you're, you're going to be discomforting. 
because he's trying a neck brace. He's like, I can't breathe with this neck brace on. He's like, well, you need your breathing. And then he finds one that fits, and uh, he's like, tell us mom. He's like, okay, give me you know cashier's check. And then spread the word. I'm doing class action. You know, find some more people. You know, even if it, he says anxiety, sleeplessness, I'm like, Saul, man, we should get into business. And then Mike comes in, and uh, Saul's like, is it trouble? And then we hear Saul, uh, was, uh, Mike busts out the recordings of Walt and uh, Skyler. And then I realized that I'd been calling Ted Benneke. Benneke, uh, Bernanke, like to Ben Bernanke. So that's been a minute. You know, I think, I, I don't know if I've been calling him which one actually, but I'm pretty sure I got it wrong. Let's just say uh, totally planned out, you know, as a sub, you know, sub, you know, to try to subsume the military industrial complex, you know, mispronunciations. But Wolf's like, Burn, Ted Benneke, you got to, you can't be kidding me. He's a joke. And Skyler's like, no. And he's like, oh, yeah, you called my bluff. And Skyler's like, you know, I don't, I don't want a relationship with you, Walt, more or less. He's like, I'm not cooking meth anymore, Skyler. He goes, they did everything I could for this family. And she goes, fine, just keep telling yourself that if you want to make it better. And she goes, and you can keep your money. And then there's a garbage disposal. So I was like, what is that noise? And Mike's like, it's just a garbage disposal. And Walt's like, you think this is going to get me out of the house? He goes, go ahead with Ted. He goes, butcher, mailman, whatever. And Skyler's like, dude, you are a loon. And Walt's like, I'm not going anywhere. And Skyler's like, that's fine. And then Saul's like, is this a bad thing or a good thing? And Mike's like, yeah, wait one second. And he knows Mike was breathing through his nose. He's like, wait, wait, wait. And then I think Walt says like, he's going to go down there and talk to Ted or something. And the next thing you know, Walt's in the reception room, and he's like, I mean, Walt for Ted Burnett, Benneke. And there's a sly smile from the receptionist, like she knows what's going on. And then Walt spots Ted hiding out. And Walt is much more silly nutty in this scene than in uh, Metastasis. Uh... Because Walt's like willing to wake it out, and then he sees Ted. And he's like, Ted, I can see you in your office. Like, Ted's trying to hide behind a plan almost. Like, And he goes, come on, open the door, let's talk. And Ted's like, oh, hey, Walt, I didn't see you there. I'm kind of busy. He goes, oh, yeah, you are. He goes, open the door. And he goes, just open the door, let's talk about it. And then Ted's like, I'm not open, you know, and then Walt can barely lift this plan. He tries to, like, lift the plan. And then Skyler shows up. Walt has this unbelievable look as he's talking to Ted. Let me see. What did he say? Oh, Skyler's like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm talking to Ted. He goes, and then he's like, yeah, come on. And then Ted gets thrown out. I mean, and then Walt gets thrown out. such a failure. But I noticed... I was like, oh, as Walt gets around, I'm like, oh, we love Walt again, or I did. It's like the, the way this show goes, and especially rewatching it in, in the way, the manner I'm doing it. 
I guess a more critical Walt than I normally would be in the first or second time watching the show. But between this and the, the stuff at work, it's like, okay, now I'm back on Walt, I'm Team Walt. I mean, partially, you know, partially. So it's like, wow, how? I mean, I don't know, and I, I hate, again, I, I know I get in these fanboy things. But I don't know if it's a fanboy, it's an appreciation because the, the degree of difficulty to do stuff like this with, you know, all the collaboration that goes into making a show and all the different things that could be uh, mis- messed up, it's just unbelievable uh, to be able to do stuff like this, have, us, have this character act this way, and then to have our feelings, or have my, I mean, I guess I'm just using projection, like my feelings change back and forth about Walt. Uh, but he's tossed out, he's like, oh, I'm calm. And then Mike just flies up in his car, he gets Walt in there. And then he's back at Saul's office, and Saul's like, what the hell is wrong with you? Actually, this has never happened before. He goes, it's a cruel world, Walt. And he goes, you need to grow up. And then Walt's like, I just wanted to talk to him. And Mike's sitting there in the background, looks like he's doing a crossword. And every once in a while during the dialogue, Walt looks back there. And then Walt's, they're going back and forth. Walt's like, well, how'd you know about what was going on and where to find me? And so I was like, well, I'm just meticulous. And then they put gloves, glares, a Walt glares. He's like, did you bug my house? And so I was like, well, basically you told me to, you know, I thought you moved out. And uh, he's like, I told you to. So I was like, well, you strongly hinted I should. And Walt's like, no, 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 no. And Salt's so like, uh, he's spinning around. He's like, no, no, we did our due diligence and kept quiet. And he's like, well, she stood by you. Why don't you see the ironical silver lining here? And he's like, you know, whatever she did. And then Walt kind of like, ah, ah. And then Mike has to escort Walt out. And Saul's like, you're fired. Or Walt says, you're fired. You're done. Whatever. And then. Saul says, oh, boo-hoo, I won't cook, cook mess anymore. And then he's like, I'm unplugging the website. No more money for you, Walt. And Walt's like, well, I want those b- b- bugs out. And then Saul's like, Saul, Salt, Saul. He's like, you ruined a $300 suit, buddy. You just bought that. And then Walt is just, and then we, we like Walt. And then he takes up, a, he takes gall with Mike. He's alone with Mike, and he's berating Mike. And Mike's like, uh, he's like, uh, he's like, yeah, these things cost a lot of money. He goes, I wasn't listening. He goes, you're boring, dude. And then Walt's like, great work, great job, by the way. You're really an upstanding guy. Mike's like, well, I enjoy it. And then Walt's like, well, you could leave now. And Mike goes, get in his car. He looks around. He goes, you know, Walter, again, I love it when Mike says Walter, how he says it. You know, Walter. Sometimes it doesn't hurt to have someone watching your bank. And then we see there's kind of chalk marking Walt's address. Uh, and then the next thing we see is that Walt's clock's ticking. It's between 7 and 8. I think the minute hand is. I thought I wrote down the time better. Maybe I, I'm going to switch notebooks here in a second. We see a lab faucet drip, drip, dripping. 
and their beautiful sounds, the clock ticking, the water dripping. The students just stare while Walt's totally drifted off, and the students have this what-the-heck look on the face. Okay, I switched notebooks. So in the classroom, it's 11.25, Walt's sitting and looking at nothing. Turning heads, I don't know what that means. And then a student comes back. She must have gone to get the principal. Then Carmen comes in. She's like, uh, Mr. White? And then he says, hi. He says in a real high, high voice, what's up? And he has a world's greatest teacher mug, Walt. And then they go down to her office, and it's they do a little terry. She's trying to talk to Walt about the seriousness of him being. She's concerned. As I said, Carmen's a wonderful principal. And she's actually trying to get Walt's back. She's, like, trying to understand what's happening with Walt, but trying to meet the balances of the students and the teachers. And Walt's, like, looking at this picture. He goes, is that a Wheaton Terrier? And she goes, it's a Norfolk. And so then they start talking Terriers. Like It's like a good podcast. And also, Carmen had a ribbon, Walt no ribbon. And at some point, it switches to this handheld camera. It's, it's moving a little bit. And she's like, you know, can you sit down and talk? You've been absent, and uh, you've been acting weird. I'm concerned. And she's like, should I call Skylar? Walt's like, oh, no. And then Walt, like, pushes her hair back, and he tries to, like, uh, he does this whisper on her. And then he tries to kiss her, or almost like, oh, he does a fake whisper, like, hey, I'm going to tell you a secret. And then he tries to kiss her, and Carmen's like, this is so unprofessional. And you can tell she's a combination of pissed and hurt and something more, because she's like, you know, I'm trying to help this guy. And it's just, Walt just behaves strangely and inappropriately. Uh, After that, we see the airport, we see a Wayfarer airplane, we see Marie and Hank, or a Wayfair air sign, and they're in the car. They're talking about how Hank's talking about how Super El Paso is promotions like being in the Super Bowl. Uh, Marie is in purple. She doesn't stay, say much. Then Hank gets a call uh, about uh, Blue Azul. You think that was after he got out of the car, then he gets in a cab. And then we have a great, great scene. Uh, Walt's fired. He walked. There's bird sounds. A lot of bird sounds in Breaking Bad have been coming more aware of those. And Walt walks out with his fired box, and Jesse's out there. He honks, and he gives a two-finger wave, and Walt, like, lugs the box over. He can barely carry this box. And I noticed the school's pretty good because they had a science building. And Jesse's like, did you get fired, dude? He's like, no, sabbatical, indefinite sabbatical. And he's like, should we go somewhere? Walt's like, no, no. And Jesse's like, can you introduce me to that guy? And Walt's like, what guy? The distribution guy. And Walt's like, no, 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 Jesse, you got to take care of yourself. And Jesse's like, no, he goes, I'm only good at one thing. He goes, no, that's not true. You're good at being sober. And Jesse's like, uh, I'm not going to use again, so I just want to get back in the business. And he goes, I don't need your help. I want to do it on my own. And he's like, look. And he goes, I, I, Jesse was so proud of himself and, and how he did it with reflux condensers, pH levels, you know, being careful, just like you told me, Dad. I mean, he doesn't say Dad, but he said, just like you taught me. And he goes, what do you think? Isn't it good? Didn't I do a good job? And Walt goes, what in the heck? He goes, this is my product, my formula. He goes, this is mine. And Jesse goes, it's ours. 
uh, and B, I was going to cut you in. And Wolf's like, no, 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 I cut you in. And Jesse's like, what are you doing, man? I thought you were out. I'm just asking for a favor. And he's like, no, I'm not going to lend my name to an inferior product. Look at these diameters. He goes, what did you use, platinum dioxide? And Jesse's like, no, mercury uh, something, aluminum amalgam. He goes, because the dioxide's in it. And he goes, well, you screwed it up anyway. I don't know how you did it. This is very shoddy work, Pinkman. And it's cloudy. I'm embarrassed for you. And Jesse's like, whoa, whoa, no, no, I've tested it. People said it's a bomb. And Walt's like, yeah, a bunch of losers like you. And uh, Jesse goes, fine, ass what? <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh, but it does. And Walt had gotten in the car at some point and put his box on the roof. And Walt's like, good luck, man. Jesse's like, I'm going to deal with it myself. Walt's like, good man, he doesn't deal with junkies like you. And Jesse goes, you know what, eat me. And Walt goes, anytime, loser. And then he drives off, Walt's box falls. And, it, and I mean, as Walt picks up the box, but geez, I, I, it's tough to feel for him, but then you kind of do a little bit. A couple other moments was when Jesse was proud. Walt goes, what the hell is this? He shakes it in his face. And I loved how he said Pinkman. And also how Walt said, oh, they said it was the bomb. That was really funny. And then I say, I can't read this. C-A-P-I-E-R. That's not a word. But, oh, copier. Copier. It is a word. And Skylar, she's got closed eyes. She's shaking her head. And then we see some workplace tension. Then we have Ted and Skyler uh, post-lovemaking. And Ted's all jokes at 6.42 p.m. And then Ted starts asking way too much probing questions. And then uh, Hank and Muscle, what does that mean? A double question mark. I don't know what that means, but they're in a... uh, uh, I don't know. The guy's name was Russell, though, I think. But the dude's breathing a lot. He's thinking hard. Uh, he's like, I'm thinking Mel, man. Dude's name was Mel. And it's like Hank and Gomez. And they're grilling him, and then they get it. It's either Mel or it's an M name. That's all the guy can give him. And then there's a moment where Gomez tries to reach out to Hank and... and uh, because Hank's like, this is a lead. And he's like, a lead to what, man? He goes, I think you need to slow down. And he's trying to be a friend, but Hank's not having it. Then we have Saul on the phone chasing clients down. Uh, Jesse comes in. Or maybe he calls. I can't remember. I didn't write it down. But he's like, I told you to get this guy cooking again. It's too late. He goes, your partner's in. He goes, he gave me a bone contusion. And then Jesse pulls out the mask, and he's like, what the heck? And Jesse's like, I made this. And he goes, can't you get a hold of the guy? Then we have Gus and Mike. Gus changes his glasses, I know, to notice for the weekend they're meeting. Mike offers his opinion on Mike. He's like, this guy's gone over the rail. This guy's a disaster. He's not coming back. Not on his own. And he goes, your friends are looking for him still. And Gus is like, does the lawyer know anything about this? He's like, no. He goes, if you want, he goes, why don't you just, you know, he goes, why don't you tell this guy? And Gus says, I do not find fear to be an effective motivator. I want investment. 
And then they look at Walt's medical records to find out. He's like, he's going to be around for a little while. And then Mike tells Gus, he's like, the Pinkman kid's selling some mess. And he goes, well, I don't work with junkies. He goes, I thought that's what you'd say. He goes, him and Walt are split up. And then Gus is like, really? And he goes, yeah, they're like cats and dogs. And he goes, okay, do the deal then. Uh, then we have, oh, wait, what else? I put Gus's, oh, Gus's next move. That's his next move on Walt. Gus has got a Volvo. Then we have Hank on the road. His horn's ringing. He's ignoring it. He's going through a list of M names. The voicemail is his boss, like, saying, call me back right away. Then he has, like, the gas station showdown with a worker trying to trick her. And she's like, he's like, what did she look at? She goes, he had really blue eyes. And she goes, really blue. And he goes, okay, he was dreamy. I got it. And he goes, anything else? And then Hank, he's like, does this camera work? She's like, no. Then he goes out and he sees the ATM camera. He's like, bingo, I got to move now. And then Walt, we have Walt at breakfast. He's staring at his breakfast cereal. There's more bird sounds. Skyler's reading the paper. Junior's really trying hard to make a conversation. He goes, these eggs are great. And he goes, it's weird. There's no money coming in Dad's website. And Hank, uh, Walt's like, well, people you lose interest, passive-aggressive. And then he's like, hey, can I get a ride? Uh, Lewis has a doctor's appointment. So I know everybody, let's keep it, wor- you know, we don't need to be worried for Lewis because this is fictional. You know, probably just some sort of, you know, teenage checkup. But Walt Jr.'s like, Dad could babysit, you know, and watch Ollie. And Skyler's like, oh, boy, and, and probably not, no. And then we have Jesse making his deal, but it's short money. He's like, hey, there's only half the money in here, he's yelling. Then we have Hank in meeting with his boss, and he's nervous, but Hank's like, no, 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 I'm on the case. There's only 29 of these RVs in the state. And the boss is like, before he's like, Asian Schrader, he goes, uh, are you going, all I want to know is are you going to follow orders and go to El Paso? They need you in El Paso. Are you going to El Paso tonight? And Hank shakes his head, he goes, no, I can't. His boss just stares and blinks, and he goes, you better get to it then. So, uh, you know, a little bit of an uncomfortable moment. Then we have Walt in the car. He's listening to the radio. The music is in the Valley of the Sun. And then this guy whistles, pulls up next to him, whistles. He throws Walt a bag. He goes, there's your half. It's a Los Pollos bag. And then he drives off, and we notice Walt's had a green stoplight. So I did figure out why the episode was called that. And then somebody honks and says, you move it. And that's the end of the episode. All right, so we have our language learning run through and our red pen run through, which have been combined. I'm going to go through our page here. First page. Saul says, swell Totello at some point. We'll, we'll get to what that means. I'm just looking for any non-Spanish notes. Uh, 50-50 is what the episode is called in Metastasis. And it's Escolar, that means school. Quarenta mil, 40,000. Oh, here's a sin effectivo, cashless. That is definitely a new word. That should be cashless, sin effectivo. And if you see a sign that says solo en efectivo, 
Devo, uh, cash only. So, you know, we see those signs. Those signs are more rare. But you do have to pay stuff. So solo and epic efectivo. Uh, como a media, only half. Uh, but hey, uh, yo te creo, I believe you. Uh, jump in line, rock the body on time. Okay, yo te creo, I believe you. Uh, did you just say tan linda too? That I'm so cute when I do the, that fake song. Uh, tan linda too, you're so cute. Well, te, uh, uh, mete se man, uh, fumas herbia. Uh, put your man smoking herb. Uh, Deheria said, no, that's what I said. Uh, Fumo Aspiria, uh, smoke something. But how about this? It's a long one, but uh, es como difícil de poner. It is as difficult to put en palabras en como. In words, is it as uh, uh, en palabras es como in all of uh, something. I got mixed up there. It is as difficult to put into words as everything is for me to do. Uh, Baba do. Uh, and you'd see, you might say, geez, Scooter, what is this episode 24? Say te agudizen? 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 Are you sharpening your Spanish skills? Well, I think I just answered that question. Uh, mucho mejor. They may be better than before. They may be worse. And some of my people say, picar el cuello, cuello. You know, you always chop the neck off of words, proverbably. Per, per, you can't even, even in English, you do that. And I would say to you, cuando no te de la, when are you not in the, uh, you know, making mistake zone or something? Uh, you know, operatado, it's tight in here in this closet where I do the podcast. And cutar and publico, I could remove it in public. Uh, but, you know, then they'd say, keep your shirt on, sir. That's what they say when I try to take my shirt off. And I say, don't make me get physico with you, you know, and do my let's get physical dance off without, you know, when they say no shirt, no service. And I say, well, I'll just move to the Bay Area where you can't really take your shirt off because it's never that hot. And that solved that problem, the old Qatar uh, and Publico problem. Now I just got a problem with keeping my fly up, which that's, you know. And they might say, someday hampa, they are underworld. And I would say, is that like a short XYZ, pull up your fly? Retropara, challenge me. To check my fly every morning. And I would say, Metoka, it's my turn. Aguatarme, to put up with Susia, your, your dirty looks. Susia looks. I can't, I don't know what looks is. I should. Let's go through the next page to see if there's anything. Oh, the taxis, license plate BB1223. And that's the only non English one on that page. So let's go back to our Spanish. At Charme, I was lingering there. Uh, Falta, but I, we we weren't missing anything. Uh, CK Damos, so we were going to the next page. Uh, Yolo was Sparrow. I do hope Demora uh, might delay in getting to a point. It, you know, uh, helps you sleep. Uh, Kehago, that's what I do. Kehago, 
Uh, he asked, uh, there it is, the secret to the podcast. Uh, and we can say, can you repeat it again, Scoots? Because I'm trying to steal your podcast idea and get rich on it. Well, what's your secret? I'd say media, I'll go average to something. That's, you know, that's my secret. And you, you say, what? I, I said, what's the secret to you? Yeah, media, I'll go. You got to make a podcast that's average to something. You know, I, I was giving you the answer, Porque usted loja pedido, because you asked. And say, calmate, calm down. That's the, uh, you know, quitate, take off. Let's go, let's go somewhere other than the barrier. Let's take off our shirts. You know, let's say, uh, que la abra, let the open, let our chests be open. Men, women, you know, let's, uh, let's live. And I say, are you becoming a nudist scooter? No, just a topless list. Nude topless is it, it probably, probably not. It just said, for me, I find shirts constraining. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, you know, but, but can you let that go? Because that wasn't funny. It was true. You know, I, I, story, I am weird. Uh, and you probably, you know, anybody observing this taking notes would say, Esa no es la actitud de un hombre racional. You know, this is not the attitude of an uh, rational man. Now it's a bingo. Uh, one thing, though, estoy camado, I am calm. Contigo with you. Now don't say that as a sign of madure's maturity. Uh, digo, I say, uh, portase, I behave as, you know, camado as I can. Uh, for hombres or mujeres, for men or women. Kello. Uh, uh, that is not what I thought that word meant. That a kello. That I didn't. I would not think that would be a kello. And you might say kayadita. Are you being coy with me, Scooter? Kayadita. And I would say, I'm sorry. Which part, Pierre? De, you lo- that loses me when you ask me questions. Yeah, kello, uh, Pierre. De, that loses me. And you might say I'm a pedazo mierda, a piece of something. And I would say, uh, 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 gusta a ese idiota? You, are you going to say that? Espera, wait. I thought we were practicing kindness here. Uh, pues, puesto, why don't you post that on Facebook? Because I'm about to do something. What are you about to do, Scooter? Uh, le voy a hacer dos observaciones. I'm going to make two remarks. Uh, uno, a veces es bueno tener a alguien. Sometimes it's good to have someone. And this part might get confusing, but, uh, que nos quede la espalda que, uh, dejar de mirarse tanto. Look after us back to stop looking so. You know how, how they say that? Look after us back to stop looking so. I think Shakespeare once said that. I think it was Gonzalo saying it to somebody else. And I think the answer was, Oh, ombligo y estar atento a lo que. Uh, belly button and I, and be aware of it. Navel, and be aware of it. Ombligo e estar atento a lo que. It might be navel gazing, it may not be. 
but pasa al reador. It's getting passed around those sayings. But primero lo primero, first things first. You know, es un bulldog francés. It's like a French bulldog. Cierto, true. Es no es Boston Terrier. But you say, en serio, really? And I would say, que tal? How are you doing? What's up? Temporal uh, is temporary. At Charom, they can't, what they cast, these fishermen, what they cast, de egal, does not matter. And you'd say, Qualman, that man, he's a fisherman. And I would say, he eats so much fish, he's so sano, more, more healthy than us. Hey, conmigo, come with me, conmigo. Uh, ese tanto solo, that fact alone that you're willing to eat and fish with me makes you uh, no degenerado, not a degenerate. In PDA, it prevents me uh, from doing um, Marta Locos, crazy combines. And Odiamas, don't hate anymore. Do not Odiamas. Because Repuesta, the answer is Mismos the same. We're only human. May boy, I'm going to try not to crack up at this. Because the next thing says, Bigote Cerbero, uh, you have a mustache brain, which is definitely the word of the decade. Bigote Cerbero, you got a mustache brain. And the man once said, E acorde a apelito ir pirate K. When you see saying, I think that guy's name was Pirate K. P-I-R-A-T-E-Q-U-E. That was his name? Yeah, Piratike. This really happened. I'm not Hagali. I'm not making this up. Uh, Dano al dentro. All the damage within the Piestas Calieta, the cove tracks, down at the cove where the fishermen are. Uh, you know, Bulbaria Loco. We'll all go crazy when the fishing comes in. We'll wear corbatas, we'll wear neckties, para al futuro, futuro, uh, corbata para el futuro, neckties for the future. We'll figure out a way to, you know, market that. But then we'll say, we'll hacha, we'll take the axe to the neckties in symbolism. And maybe we need an abogado, an attorney for that. You know, peros and gatos. We'll have, we'll have, I don't think we could put uh, corbatas on dogs and cats. And someone said, Habiadado, he has given Lindo a cute uh, phrase. Uh, uh, no sabia or raro. It's not known or rare. But sirbe, it serves. Wait, and donde and donde, where, 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 where were you in your point? Well, I was just about to say your los huevos are great. The eggs you make are great. Repente, suddenly, I'm going to change subjects and say debido, it's due to, to get to a close here. As the boredom comes through my dientes, my teeth, sumitad, it's more than half done, more than it's half. Conmigos, but we caught, we caught the fish with the fishermen. Mobiles, fish are very mobile. Uh, muchos más alta mobile, they're much higher than mobile, they swim. 
But you could say to the fish, Repuesta director, I make a direct request. You know, estoy cerca, I'm around to eat the fish, wear neckties, whatever it is. But uh, esta un mitad, which we already said, this one's, ha- you know, this one's uh, over, not half over. So thanks for stopping by and good night. Yeah, I want to say thank you and good night to uh, Jennifer for her idea about the kids podcast. Andy Tastic and his family, Rebecca, uh, Brittany, Judy Kay for that info. Thank you. I want to say good night to Melissa D. Emma C. Uh, good night and thank you to Kath and Rudolph with the no so bright. Over on YouTube, say goodnight to Harer. And then on you and uh, Twitter, Winnie, Winnie, goodnight. Uh, Brock W, goodnight. Whiting, once again, goodnight. Janelle, or Janelle, Janelle. I prefer, how do you feel about Janelle? Janelle, Janelle. Uh, Lisa, uh, thank you and goodnight. Alexandra or Alex uh, cited good night. Uh, Helen Z, aka Illusionist, good night. Uh, Lisa D, good night. Illusionoid, good night, and I'm sorry. Uh, Evil O, good night. Uh, Willow, good night. Or S. Willoway. Swillaway. Paul, thank you uh, for recommending me over there to uh, Winnie and Paul. Uh, recommending me to Allison Rosen, who's our new best friend. She's really great. So that was nice. Uh, Jason S., good night. Uh, Acoustic Sheep, good night. Uh, Zachary, good night. Kelly S., good night. Ingrid, uh, good night. Thank you. Michaela, thank you for that stuff on uh, on Maurice Purpleness. Thank you so much. Uh, Babs, good night. Ben, good night. Melanie, good to hear you're on the upswing. D, good good work taking care of your your M. Andy, Andy, Andy-tastic. It looks like Anderp in your name thing. Uh, Benji Box, thank you. Lisa K, thank you. Uh, Sammy, uh, Sammy T, good night. Kelly H, good night. Bryony, good night. Eli, good night. Uh, Brandon A, good night. G, good blue t-shirt, good, I, I know who you are, good night. Emily, good night, thank you. Pan Magazine again. Good night, Lida. Good night, uh, Keeney. Keeney. Good night, Mike. Good night, Steph. Bobby. Good night, Stephen S. Good night, Anna. Good night, uh, and good night, Mary and Amanda and uh, Julie C. Uh, we're on Facebook. I want to say good night to Nick and good night to Grant again. And Grant, I'm sure sure you're. I know your other name. Thank you, Grant. So really touching. Shabby, good night. Laura B to the S to the R, good night. Mike D with the super beard, good night. 
Julie C., good night. Uh, Ahab's wife, good night. Uh, Julie R., good night. Uh, Shannon S., good night. I want to say good night to Rachel M. and good night to Megan M. Uh, different, M, I mean different, different M's, but you know they both end in M. Wayne, 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 good night. Uh, Shelly S., thank you for sharing about the podcast. Uh, Marissa O., Claudia GM, thank you. Good night. Uh, Brenda, good night. Uh, Ted, my brother, good night. Lawrence C., good night. Uh, Joel D., good night. Melissa B., good night. Uh, Laura M.B., good night. Laura M.B. Lizzie S., good night. Thank you, Lizzie. Uh, Ben S., good night. Stephen R., good night. And a few more iTunes reviews. Uh, I want to say thank you to Canyon AI, the artificial intelligence that runs your Grand Canyon, who says we're the best podcast. Thank you, Canyon AI. And it keeps getting better. Well, I keep, I'm trying everything I can to keep it getting better. Uh, UB, oh boy, I can't, I gotta do a zoom on this one. UB, uh, TDFTFFH, UB, Tadufra, Tadufra. They say it totally works, and they're on 15 minutes. Thank you, Ubi, Ubi, Tubi, Tubi, Tubi. And then Balboa185 uh, says it's been a long, year long, one sided relationship. Uh, podcast is pretty good in its ability to keep a balance on the tightrope of lullabies and verbal lullabies and entertaining stories. Uh, suited for thinking persons with a good sense of humor can be open to and enjoy content that causes brain giggling during REM. Uh, thanks to everyone involved. Thank you, uh, Balboa185, for listening for a year. Thank you so much, and good night. Okay, um, thank yous, and good night for iTunes reviews. You can do that at sleepwithmepodcast.com slash iTunes. I want to thank Jude NYS, who says meandering and mesmerizing, love being put to sleep by scooter, especially breaking bad metastasis. Well, you picked the right night to be thanked. Yeah, uh, Scooter's got an eye for subtle nuances of acting and costuming, uh, and owls and cubbies. Of course, you missed that, but it's fine. Uh, is it, I don't know, uh, how he's smart and topical. Don't know how Scooter holds down a job. Bare, I'd say barely, barely. But very appreciated. Thank you, Jude. Uh, best sleeping ever. This was a funny one. 150 Santos. And they said, uh, my first night sleeping was the best sleep I had in a month. Inspired me to buy a pillow. That makes me wish I had like a, uh, you know, it was like David Letterman. And inspired me to buy a pillow. I love that. So thank you, 150 Santos. Uh, WV Ginger, West Virginia, Ginger Mountains, take me home. You, uh, uh, root, herb, roads. I don't know any other herb, maybe, uh, but anyway, WV Ginger. Uh, WV Ginger's got constant ringing in their ears, so they need noise to sleep. And this is a great alternative to TV. Boring and relatable. And their favorite podcast. Thank you. Uh, weird and wonderful. 
This is from Mia, Mimi, and Maud. It was it was that who was in uh, was that in uh, not calling me bad Belbiv DeVoe. Was that their first names? Mimi, Mia, Mimi, and Maud. A weird and wonderful, strange amalgam of nonsense and whimsy. I love the word whimsy. Uh, I do. And this is a, a long one. I better read this one. Uh, it's really well thought out. OB Nurse NH. So we could figure that out. Uh, best sleep aid ever. Night shift nurse for over 10 years. Uh, pretty good at sleeping day or night, but sometimes, you know, they have to sleep shorter times because of family with children. Uh, the side effect is there's at times where they don't have to be awake. Uh, they have a hard time, you know, if they wake up, they have a hard time going back to sleep. Their body's used to short sleep and thinks that uh, awake no, is awake no matter what. And they recently began listening to podcasts with a... Uh, to help with this in some degrees of success. But they realize that the tone and cadence of voice makes a tremendous difference whether or not it helps you fall asleep or wakes them up further. Additionally, oh, overall in podcasts, additionally they had to uh, run, run out of episodes of their favorite podcast. Uh, but then they searched iTunes for stories, stumbled upon it, became our podcast and became a fan. And they still have never made it through a whole episode, so Scooter's voice draws you and soothes your mind. Just interesting enough to quiet your mind, but boring enough to let you drift off and fall asleep quickly and easily. Never before have I rated something as boring as a good thing. And they've been telling everyone they know, especially night shift nurse, fan, night shift nurse friends, about the podcast and encouraging them. Good stuff, all natural, slightly addictive. Thank you so much. And then we have Sean LVLL. Uh, they love the podcast Magic Bullet for falling and staying asleep. And they have trouble waking up in the middle of the night and not being able to fall asleep. That's a common problem. They use this podcast on a loop with a small plug-in pillow speaker that fits under the pillow. Thank you. Then we have uh, Mikalas, Mikalas 5, Mikalas 5. I, I think was that a, that was the can't, the only Star Trek to be canceled. Mikalas 5, uh, a journey. Oh, no, wait, that was fan fiction again. That they, they said, they said Gene Roddenberry came, this, they said it was this Halloween. They said he was riding the Great Pumpkin saying no more fan fiction scooter. And he said, but what about Space Station Michaelis 5, Gene? And he said, it's Mr. Rottenberry. And he said, should be Mr. Rottenberry uh, attitude. And then he's the great pumpkin drops some, you know, that gook, the pumpkin seeds coming right on my head. And then I said, Rottenberry. Uh, anyway, but Michaelis 5, the person... Hardly ever writes reviews, but they felt like they needed to write one for the podcast because they love it. Thank you. They've had trouble falling asleep for years, a late sleeper. Normally my voice would drive them crazy, but but at bedtime they're a believer. And now they fall asleep faster and stay awake, stay asleep a little longer. And if they wake up, I can lull them back. So thank you, Michaelis5. And this works according to Zach0816. That's a, a Zach S. 
and scooters uh, helped break another streak of sleepless nights. It usually takes uh, 30 minutes to fall asleep. Uh, to my silly meandering, enjoyable stories, but this beats the pants off of two hours of stress, eating, reading, tea drinking, and other things. Thank you, Zach. I know how you feel. <laughs>